All right, all right, let's leave all of this. But, oh, what the hell was Sorry, that? Can we not club together and buy Chone a new chair? Interstellar should be shown in school, but Madden doesn't seem to think so. The Top Gear fiasco is at an end. Lionel Richie has done well at Glastonbury, and we've all talked a little bit more about Apple Music. All that and a couple of other bits and pieces, the airwaves is up. It's here. It's time. We're here. We have a, a, a little time. It's the Airwaves, the podcast that examines the week's media and entertainment news. With me this week, as always, all the way from Nottingham, Mr. Tony Blunt. How are you doing, sir? Um, I'm I'm here. I'm just about here, thanks to Skype. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it, another <laughs> another series of problems. I wasn't here last week, but I hear there were um, I hear there were problems. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never mind. Well, you, you're here this week. Yes, yes, very much so, and hopefully loud and clear. Yeah, no, more than clear. Very crisp, very crisp. Next on the list, ah, oh, cradling his head in his hand, <laughs> Alex G. Fox. How you doing, sir? I'm very well. Oh, was I? I must yeah. have been. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and no, I'm really enthusiastic as always. Excellent. That's brilliant. That's fantastic. Next I'll time, p- give me some more warning so I can wake up not so startled. I did. Put, I did give you some warning because I explained your current stance. <laughs> yeah, but I, I didn't know who it was. I was so drifting off. I didn't realise it was me that was doing it. Well, never mind. Never mind. Oh well, 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 well. What do we have here? Well, 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 well. <laughs> Last but not least, <laughs> fresh from choosing his new television on Amazon, but finding that all the ones that he had saved are now out of manufacture. <laughs> Mr. Carl Madden, how are you doing, Hello. sir? Hello, sir. Thank you very much for having me. But yeah, I, I, don't you ever do that? Do you ever go on Amazon and shop for a load of things, fill your basket up and go, no, <laughs> I'm, no just, I t- well, I'm not buying it. I tell you what, I did that um, I did that yesterday. I bought, what was it? I got two pairs of sticks. I got a Star Trek The Next Generation Season 5 on Blu-ray and an Anchor 7-port USB hub. Oh, Anchor. I like them. Yeah, I just bought it. Nice. Yeah. Spending. Spending. Well, I nearly bought a 600 quid telly, but I decided not to in the end. Well, I had some Amazon, uh, I had an Amazon voucher to spend. Uh, Employee of the month last week, or at least half of it. Yeah. I bought bought a flossing thing instead, an (laughs) automatic flossing machine. Is that that Philips thing I've seen? Yeah, yeah, because I had to go to the dentist this week, right? And and, because one of my fillings has fallen out, so I had to go to the dentist and go, am I okay? Please, apart from this one thing. She Mm. went, yeah, it's fine. Got a bit of plaque building up there. I think, ah, damn it. Because they always yeah. go about me about flossing, and I hate flossing. Don't do because it's, it's, it's so sixty quid a time, time to have your teeth cleaned. Well, I yeah. don't do that. I don't do that. So uh, I'm a cheapskate. I just brush them. If but I anyway. had dentures, they'd still tell me that they need yeah. clean yeah. yeah. hygiene. But no, so I've got. The, I've ordered this thing. It will turn up tomorrow. And the moment you just put it to the corner, side, up top of your tooth or bottom bit of your tooth, and it cleans it. I don't know how, but uh, it'd be interesting to see. It's meant to only take thirty seconds. So I've can got you? An air- 
espresso down the end of the garden. Yeah. Right <laughs> can you can you do a review of that on the show next week? Because I really want to know. A, I saw an advert for it on YouTube. I thought, well, that looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it could just be nonsense. But it's Amazon. If it's rubbish, I can just send it back. I don't know. Slightly soiled. Even- <laughs> <laughs> oh dear well how about this weather hey i mean the sun is shining outside the birds are singing and the sky is an in a beautiful shade of blue and I that did suddenly out. gone gray he has i went out in shorts today yeah oh, i've been in shorts <laughs> since april no but, <laughs> two scary know. images no. <laughs> my, my class precludes me from doing that until it gets to the point oh where no, I just went out and I was looking at my very white tennis shoes. Mm. I think they're called trainers by everyone else. What class, is, what class is that? No class. That's Lower pumps. Class. You went out in pumps. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're, they're for playing tennis in, but uh, on the AstroTurf. Right? Oh. Because they were the first ones that came out from under the bed that didn't need cleaning. And, <laughs> they didn't um, need polishing. Yeah. And uh, I'd realised that my legs are about the same shade of white as the shoes but as my legs haven't been in the sun for at least two or three years i'm not mm. surprised fair enough fair enough uh, people were looking at me like oh dear poor man nobody's legs are normally that <laughs> they were looking at you going what the hell i can't see a thing i'm blind <laughs> taking away uh, the goggles they do nothing <laughs> oh dear right apple music tomorrow is launch day if we can add, if if the servers hold up and and we can all get the update for our iPhones sorry tone um <laughs> do we are we all we're all still on course to give this thing a try absolutely why wouldn't you i don't know perhaps you've been incensed by the recent taylor swift shenanigans <laughs> oh we ain't got to go over that i don't want to do no, that no we don't we don't have to do it <laughs> No, I could download it right, and then I could find some really, really crappy indie band that's never going to make a penny, and just constantly stream their stuff. So here's my point. Here's the th- the only thing I've got to mention about Taylor Swift. Here's the thing that gets me. Here's the disingenuous bit. Got lovely as as legs, I actually. I saw her today. Do do you? I mean, we were talking about right legs, up to her. Blimey. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's the fact is, she said it, she came out and she said, this is not for me, this is for all the indie bands out there. And apparently it's leaked, it's come out that everybody, at least in America, anyone that streams it in America, um, the record label or the artist, not the artist, but the um, the rights holder, is going to get 0.02 cents. So if they, what's that? So if they stream it um, 50 times, they get a cent, basically, I think that means. Amazing. Yeah, so the point is, now she's come out and said about indie bands and stuff like this. Now the problem is, She's a mega, mega pop star over in the States. So all her legions and legions of fans are going to go on and stream Taylor Swift 24-7 probably. Earn her a bucket load of money as much as you can anyway from a streaming service. And of course, poor some poor little indie band will probably get a thousand streams (laughs) and still make nothing, but she'll be raking it in. Well, they probably about have enough for about a 10p bag of cola bottles. Yeah, so I just that's why I'm saying it's a disingenuous. And it was like the other week when we were talking about streaming services, and, and like Alex said, he's still not convinced that, you know, the world's decided to go this way, even though, as you look at it from a financial point of view, they seem to be. More people seem to want to do streaming than buy music at the moment, which mm. is, you know, mm. so things could be starting to shift. But he's right. Just the market is still not currently there to make oodles and oodles of money from any kind of streaming service. But the way it's been talked about, and this is what was worrying me, the way it's been talked about is, okay, now Apple's going to pay, and for three months they're going to pay. But 
I got a horrible feeling at the end of three months, a lot of these artists are going to turn around and go, well, hang on, I'm still not making any money, so I'm coming off it again. More than likely. See, that's, this is what I'm saying. It, it's, um, the, only, the only, you know, Apple might be able to bring volume to it, but again, if they can't, if they can't turn those free memberships into paying memberships, just like Spotify has had a trouble doing, then they're just going to be in the same, same boat. They might have a wider audience, but they'll still fundamentally be in the same sort of boat. So again, and we won't know for three months. It's still all up in the... Well, we won't know for four months, will we? So it's still the up in the air. The only difference Apple have got, right? I don't think there is many, any money in streaming. I really don't think there is. Um, I'm trying... I would trying to rack my brain about something else that may have gone that way and changed. But I mean, record companies are always going to be unhappy because of... I mean, Taylor Swift's problem is quite simple. You say you sell a bucket load of CDs, right? Say you sell 5 million copies of something, right? There's a, there's a certain percentage of people that have bought that, have bought it to hear what the new album sounds like. And so those people may stream it and go, I only like that one song. Or I only, yeah, it's all right. I wouldn't go around and buy it. That's been the and problem so, with streaming stuff right from the beginning, hasn't it? The, the whole yeah, try I mean, before you buy element. Well, if you don't yeah, like it, then no need to buy. It's not only that. I mean, there's loads of things I've bought over the years. Loads, I've got CDs, racks of CDs behind me. And some of them have never, ever been out a cellophane. Because they are a, you know, they're almost an impulse. I walked through a CD. I walked through, in the old days, it was our price or HMV. Or I would walk in, I'd be a bit bored at a lunchtime, and I'd say, what is the new such and such? Oh, it's only tenner. Oh, I'll buy that. Yeah. And I did it all the time. And I hardly ever opened any of them. And But that purchase has gone with streaming because I don't even think about doing that now. I'll look on Spotify once every six months and I'll have a song in my head and then I'll do a bit of moving around and I'll play something and then I'll forget about it for another six months. And so I'm not doing that purchasing. So all streaming is doing to the artists is costing the money. No, I don't... I don't there is no win-win for the artists here. I don't necessarily agree. Only because, this is the thing right now, how did Taylor Swift get so big? Because not everyone on day one went out and bought her album. They she had was a financial hear. advisor's daughter. She, well, this is true. right? <laughs> she, but she had to build an audience. Now, how did she build that audience? She went on radios and TVs and, and done gigs and done all these other things. Well, one more. See, why, why do they look at that to be different to what a streaming service can offer you? Because it should, it should be on that sort of scale. It should be, look, you're now giving you a much larger audience to chance to go out right. and discover. Uh, I can answer your question quite simply. Very simply. Okay. Because at a radio station, you hear a song, right? And you're not sitting there recording that song. It'd be different if <laughs> every radio station that you listen to, you recorded the whole day and then pulled off the songs you like. With streaming, the discovery part of it is fine and you're completely right. Apart from the fact that you don't actually then need to go and buy it, you can just listen to that song until you're sick. Yeah, of it. but you, you're paying more than once. You're not paying ten yeah, quid. Okay, no, you're paying more than once. But say you hear the same song twenty times, you have just pointed out that they have to hear it fifty times to get one cent. Yeah, but I'm one person. <laughs> you get two people do that. That's doubled up. You get three that's, people do it. That's it, it's but obviously financially, it does not work because they wouldn't be enough enough. It works perfectly for the new and the undiscovered and the people that aren't selling lorry loads of CDs in the first place or downloads or whatever you call it. I think she actually sells CDs. That's her big thing, isn't it? People actually buy hard copies. Now, if you're already doing that, you're going to lose. If you're not doing that, it's an avenue to have a chance. 
And the point is, the people that jump up and down all the time, all the people that have complained about streaming, and whatever excuse they've made to complain about streaming, they've all, without any exception, been people that have already made bucket loads of people. Absolutely. Uh, and every stream is an album they're not selling, right? But So you're right. It's good for everyone else apart from the ones that have already exploited the system. <laughs> well, yes. Okay, granted. But that's, that's what I'm saying. This is why it's starting to rub me up the wrong way. And this is why when I see people, you know, they say we should have pity on the poor artists and stuff like that. Well, hang on. What are you oh, talking about? God, screw that. Screw the artists and their millions. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Tone's keeping very quiet on this conversation. Well, I was about to move on to Tone. I was about to ask him if if and when um, Apple Music comes to Android, how, uh, how 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 does that how does that come up on your ah? Wait a minute, Carl's waving his finger. At well, me. no, I was just saying I don't understand why because Tone's already got access to Google. Play or whatever it's yeah. called. Yeah. So and, with and, with that with Google Spotify Play and Spotify and things like that, what what yeah. what are you gonna what are you gonna do? You've already got a perfectly good platform. Yeah, it's gonna entice um, you at all? Um, well, I haven't even used iTunes on my PC in don't. It must be years now. Don't. So interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, interestingly, it, you've just made a point. They just I'm going to break in because it's really. <laughs> I got an email. I got an email today from PayPal. And it said, last chance. And I was like, last chance to what? And I thought it was junk. But then I went on, and it's true. Click this button and get two months free Google Music streaming. Really? And I just thought, okay. And it was only when you said that, I thought, oh, no wonder they're doing it. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, Something else is coming. I've been binning the emails thinking, oh, shut up, PayPal. I don't want to see how much I've spent. Right. And I always bin them. Because anything from PayPal goes in the bin. I log into PayPal to see what's going on, right? It's the only safe way to do it. Absolutely. And uh, it just it caught my eye today, and I went, Google what? And then I went, and it's just you were talking, and when you mentioned it to Tone, I was thinking, oh, that's why they've been trying to give me yeah. two months free Google. And it never <laughs> even occurred to me, because I've been binning them the whole time. Sorry, so, Tone. So, Tone, come on, what, 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 what's, what's your stance? <laughs> I mean, there isn't, from what I can see about it at the moment, there isn't really anything that it adds to what, Spotify and the others already do, and I, I think you know we kind of covered that when we were talking about it last, you know, last mm. week with the whole Taylor Swift story. So the only thing it could probably add is literally the range of you know its catalogue, and that's Spotify's going to be inclusive. Though, I say that's going to be the same difference as between Netflix and Amazon kind of thing. You know, it's like, it's like yeah, one one catalogue might have you know a lot of things and. It'll be a slightly different catalogue, but I can't really see anything. Um, okay, maybe that sort of, I think you mentioned the easier way of, you know, one click to buy something after streaming mm. it. Yeah. You know, it's not buy them from, Am- uh, from Spotify, but oh, they yeah, jump yeah. off to Amazon or something. I don't know where, I've never yeah, it goes to. Them, so I don't know where it goes to. I think you get options for Amazon, you know, Google Play, and even back to iTunes. Yeah, probably. Because they get a cut. Yeah. Here's a question for Tone, because if he's not an mm. Apple fanboy like the two of you. Right. Like Tone, I personally, I feel a loyalty to Spotify because it's in my life. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in my life, they started it for me. 
cares? Mm. Seriously, who cares? If you, if you, I'm not, you, I'm not if, sure. If, if you don't you. care unless it's an Apple thing, and if then it, you're no, no, no. Oh, if it was you, right, Alex, I, hold up, hold up, hold up. Stop. If it was you, Stop. Alex, that started it and created it in your own basement, then I'd have some affinity, some loyalty to it. But it's a company. I don't care. Hang on a minute. It doesn't. It, it doesn't bother me in a slight. It's a company. If the company care. wants, to, no, I don't. If the company does things, continues to do things that I want then great, I'll continue to support it. But the moment something better comes along, I'll drop it like a, you know, like a your 15 pound note. Your assumption with fanboyism in your eyes is no, you put that better. there. I didn't say I'm a fanboy. You <laughs> said I'm a fanboy. You can put words in my mouth as much as you like. But I think we have got to agree with you. I think so. Use that yeah. flossing machine. I think we've got to say that's that's probably what happened with iTunes for me. You know that original where I, I did have it. You know, I used it. I had a whole library on it, but then it was you know suddenly these other services popped up. Like I think recently the first one of these streaming things I tried was Deezer, probably. I mean, I personally do feel. I mean, whether yeah. I personally feel a loyalty to certain companies who have never let me down. If you like, mm. I've I've always fired up Spotify. The songs I've always wanted have been there. The playlists I've made have been there. Mm. The quality is in the the quality it gives me, not just the song, yeah. obviously, but the quality it plays to has always been good enough for me. The offline mode has always suited me. The, mm. Everything they have done, and the fact that, you know, they introduced me to it in a funny way. I, I you know, like, fair enough, Carl, if you don't feel like that, but I do. I feel it's a, a loyalty. I don't, yeah. I don't feel loyalty to... I, I get people who like their cars and fall in love with it. I don't. It's a piece of metal. Once it's once it's old, it goes. I don't feel no attachment to... Well, you oh. said this before, though, that I'm I'm a soulless git. So <laughs> it's, it's probably not surprising. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm just letting you prove it. Yeah, but I quite like fine. my car. I, I don't see. I don't, I don't see the point. I don't see why people... I've never understood it. I don't understand why you people have an affinity with a thing. Because it's a thing. If it's a human being, that's completely different. But a thing, no, forget it. It's not having. I'm not wasting my empathy on a thing because it it can't return it. It can't accept it. It can't value it. No, but you're wrong. You're wrong. A company can return it. No, not if if I pay if I pay them money. The if I pay them money, then I expect a service. Right? They're not doing that's it for right. my for to be my friend. They're doing it because I'm paying them to do it. But you're saying there's no ethics in any business, and that's just simply not true. Why is it not true? Well, I've got a business, and I'm ethical, so I've proved it's not yeah, true. There's one <laughs> exception in billions. Most no, companies I've worked with, I choose to work with because I think they've got a more ethical no, that's, business. That's I have enough. a business, I'm ethical. Well, okay. Okay. again, so but, it's 100% on this battle. But yeah. you're, one, yeah. you're man, one man teams. I mean, you know, it's, it's different, isn't it? It's, you're not necessarily, you're your business. So if you wasn't ethical, yeah. you'd go down the swanee, so to speak. You know, oh, but uh, we're talking no, about corporations you, you, and yeah, businesses yeah, no, and stuff, and they lose their you way. Go, you go by leadership. And so, yeah. Apple, Apple <laughs> for the most part, try. I mean, I can't say they're going to succeed because they are a big behemoth of a company, but they try and be ethical because there is a reason to be that. And I don't, also, I don't it gives you a good. It gives a good reputation to a company, which keeps customers coming back. You know, I, I'm loyal yeah. to the BBC because of the history. Yeah. Of them as a corporation. Now, I would always, I like you know, that you like. We always talk about news. Here we go. We're actually talking media. We can always talk about news and various things, right? Now, the BBC. Now, we know every news broadcaster has some leaning, some bias, some because they just that human beings do wherever it comes from. Personally, I trust them more than I trust 
But, Any other. but we know... So I have a loyalty to We them. know in the last few years, BBC ethics have been called into question over certain news items that didn't reach the public until Granted. recently. So Granted. the point but is... The point is that's the exception rather than the rule, which I could give you a number of companies, that the rule would be, let's just make this up and hope... No, no, it's worse than that. Let's just make it up. And who cares if we get... Caught? Well, I know, but that's what I'm saying. But once you start... Once you start to say, make blanket statements like, you know, some companies are totally ethical. Because I don't. No, 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 no. I've not. never used the word totally. Well, com- well, okay. Or ethical, or actually see just- that as a point. <laughs> at least attempt to be ethical. I don't see companies can be. It's virtually impossible for companies, apart from one-man shows, to be ethical. It's, it's, no, no, it's- no. But you, it, it's to do with the. Um, it's to do with actually what they want to be. No one can achieve everything they set out to do. You can't, right? But there's a lot of companies. I mean, like Google. Google set off with the idea of being ethical, right? And then they become too big to be what you call ethical. But they still, their still mindset is still set that the it's based in that. You know, yeah, I mean, but- might, they might not achieve it, but they definitely are more based in that than a lot of other. <laughs> True, but we're not. I'm not arguing that they're ethical. I'm just arguing I'm not going to give them any loyalty. It's not because they're unethical. It's just because they're a company. They're not yeah, built. Lo- loyalty not- means the company that you're loyal to, loyal to. If they appreciate their loyalty or they know that they've got customer loyalty, they will be more inclined to keep their customers happy than make more profit because of even if it's just a business decision to be loyal to your loyal customers, then that's a sensible business decision. Well, that's not necessarily... You don't have to be ethical to do that. You just No, no, I'm just saying it's a byproduct. You're still more likely to get more out of a company you're loyal to than not. Likely is a big word. (laughs) Well, there's no definite in this. (laughs) Just not in letters. Well, there we go. There we go. That is more the... That was the business hour. That that was the business... (laughs) We haven't even actually got onto anything. We haven't got on. That was just something I was going to throw in at the beginning. Is anyone going to be signing up for Apple Music tomorrow? Oh, well, all this ethical business. And the, <laughs> it's not my fault. He took me there. I know. I know. No, it's all good. It's all good. glass my eye. Hey? Let's get. Let's get. There we go. We've got an extra story. Out Indeed. Of Excellent. Fantastic. Let's get into the segment called the what now? <laughs> Look at you all looking startled. Interstellar should be shown <laughs> in school lessons. Oh, this story yeah. from the BBC. Uh, the film Interstellar should be shown in school science lessons, a scientific journal has urged. Uh, they say their call follows a new insight gained into black holes as, as a result of producing the visual effects for the Hollywood film. This is actually one of the things that was brought up on uh, one of the little featurettes that's on the, on the Blu-ray that I have. Experts have also confirmed that the portrayal of wormholes is scientifically accurate. Uh, scientific papers have been published in the American Journal of Physics and in Classical and Quantum Gravity. Uh, Dr. David Jackson, who printed one of the papers in this month's AIP, said publishing this paper was a no-brainer. He added, the physics has been very carefully reviewed by experts and found to be accurate. Uh, The publication will encourage physics teachers to show the film in their classes to get ideas across about general relativity. They're probably going to have to stretch that across several lessons because the thing's nearly three hours long. The director of Interstellar, Christopher Nolan, told the BBC that Dr. Jackson's comments and the two journal publications were very important to him. Uh, Right from the beginning, we, we all really believed it's time to inspire another generation 
to really look outwards and to look to the stars again. I, I think I think that's the main thing. It it encourages it encourages mm. kids to um to you know to put their minds to science and things like that. Well, Carl, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, actually, no, because it look it seems like Alex is going to say something. Not very positive. ethical, is it? He's um, going to say something positive. Yeah, no, definitely positive. I was watching BBC News one disgustingly early time in the morning, and mm. I didn't even know the, the telly was on that time in the morning. Um, that's how early it was. And they were... It's no longer a, a single pitch and a, and a little girl pointing at it. Exactly. <laughs> what was doing, that thing? Doing noughts and crosses. The test card, yeah. yeah. No, what was the little dummy thing that she was pointing at? And don't say me. Clown. Oh, tone. Oh, that was mean. Anyway. Same thing. There was a lady that worked on it, but the thing is she worked on it because of when they did this, they didn't sort of put it together and then go, well, to get some scientists to see if it's right. They got some scientists to sit there and going, right, this is the maths. How are you going to make that maths graphical? Well, that's the thing. They started with the maths and then exactly. they moved on to the simulations, which are yeah, incredible. They went to the scientists and the scientists said, this is the maths. No one's yet designed a simulator powerful enough to do this. And they said, but we're uh, designers of, you know, whatever they do, CGI designers. It might take us a while, but we'll build something powerful enough to do this. So it started off with the bright science, and then they went and built something to show that science on the screen, yeah, which is yeah. the clever bit, which is why this is important, because it's science-driven, and the visuals came afterwards. It's not like to try and get... It's not like saying Jurassic World will get people interested in paleontology. You know, it did, this is the av- Yes, of course it did, but this is the other way around. This is the actual paleontologists getting people to build dinosaurs. You know, it's, it's the other <laughs> way around. And I, w- I watched this woman, and you know, she was very interesting if you were scientific. But you could tell she was in the science industry and not necessarily entertainment industry because at sort of five o'clock in the morning was just about the right time to watch that interview because it wasn't going to make me any more awake than I already was. But, um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. But the only trouble with Interstellar, and this is the trouble that we had at the time, is the science bits were great. The rest of it bored me rigid. Yeah, I mean, I know, the problem I that Russ you really lot enjoyed it. I, I loved Russ it. Russ really enjoyed it. But the story was like, this is terrible. Sciencey bits, cool, that's really clever. And the whirly black hole bits. And it's actually quite exciting to know that that's real. As in, scientifically, that's real. As, as real as far real as the theoretical... Um, yeah, exactly. This, this, um, what's his and name? in a funny way, because it theoretically worked... It then makes it feel more real that the fear is real, because you could visualize something that's never been able to be visualized, which is, you know, to me quite interesting. I was just trying but to remember yeah, his name. It was, um, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's uh, it's Kip Thorne is the uh, is the scientist who who did the um, he kind of did the numbers and uh, guided them through the the whole the whole process of the of the. Black yeah, hole. maybe show them the, the scientific bit, but the other bit, yeah. I mean, unless they're really naughty, I wouldn't show them the rest. If I'd seen that film back when I was at school, I may have been um, slightly bored by it because it just didn't have the sort of the Star Trek get up and go that I that I used to go for. But these days, you know, now I'm in my <laughs> one, now I'm one or two years into my thirties. Um, I, I I prefer slow burn films. I don't think that, unless they want to re-edit it for kids or something like that, in which case they may lose the scientific angle on it. But if if they want to um, if they want to show this to kids you know you you, you probably want to <laughs> aim it at the gcse a level sort of level i think i mean if the kid is too young the actual sciencey bit could 
scare them because well, they, yeah. actually what you're actually looking at is an abyss. And, you know, and if you get a young yeah. enough child, yeah, you get another child actually trying to understand that. That could really bother them. Well, that's the thing they, that the image of the the image of the black hole in in Interstellar is actually it's it's slightly nasty. Actually, it's it's um it's it's a little bit spooky. But with the explanation of what goes in doesn't come out. What well, never nice. never comes oh. out. Yeah. Well, that's not necessarily true. There could be a pinhole at the other end, which could then be opening up into another dimension but that's oh, a fear I'm, I'm still confused i'm still confused oh, no 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 right, me, it was let, a film right no 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 because they say to construct the theoretical models they couldn't build anything that was big enough and, and powerful enough to show the representation of what the mathematics said now, i'm looking at it it's a freaking marble in space how no, hard no, was no, that you, to build no 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 uh, no oh, nice. oh dear you've missed the point <laughs> What's the point? What's the point? The, the, in the we film, need to show it to him in school again. It is an accurate representation of, yeah. of, a, of a singularity, of a black hole. Yeah, but it's Which still means special. the light, they, they basically take a light source and they bend the light around it. Which, yeah. But I don't, what I'm saying to you is I understand that, but so what? It's still a special effect. It's, it's a theory based on a special effect. What's actually represented isn't necessarily... No, 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 no. It's a special effect based on a theory. Okay. This is more like when you see like a, a simulation of something. It's just a graphical simulation rather than, you know, say say like in Star Trek, you'd see the you know the ship warping off, and suddenly it'd have the all these lines behind it and things like that. And that's that's the complete opposite. That's them sort of prettying up the you know what the effect of going may, faster than light. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, the so based- point is, is what's the point as opposed to. No, I just that it might be right or it might be wrong. I'm just saying, chances of us ever encountering one of these things, one of these things, you like, wouldn't get very long to enjoy. Exactly. It. No, you wouldn't. But also, no. considering what happens in the film, I think if you show that kit film to kids, they want to stay a hell away from the damn thing in the first place. They won't go anywhere near it. No, but they might go near the science. I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah the, but ma- the, science the point they're making here is that they'll go near the I science. I understand the science. I understand <laughs> that, but I don't. I don't. I don't see how. I mean, it's, it's mind you, I. I come from a theory, however, that, you know, um, kids who grew up in the 60s who watched Star Trek went on to get interested in science and stuff. Exactly. Because mm. it was adventurous, it was, like, entertaining, and it, it pulled them in. I think the moon landings and all those rockets might have had Well, they happened yeah. afterwards. No, no, but they all started in the mid-60s. They only landed on the moon in 69, but they didn't sort of set off one day and just go there. Yeah, but it was the, quite a build-up. Well, Star Trek but happened before Star Trek that. was well before that happened and that's you know they that's where everyone started again of course you know the, plus there was a cold war on so they had to do something to make Jim out they went to the moon i'm not going to no, no. not go there what does he have he, he has that uh tinfoil hat. Yeah. fanboy fanboy look we have a tinfoil hat tinfoil um, hat no it's just i just <sighs> i don't no, know point, it, what? it just seems to me anything christopher noland is now involved in everybody just wants to worship the man and everything he does and I I just I don't see why I can understand why I, I don't know I, it's, I mean these people want to publish this paper because they were approached to do the theoretics for the film which they then employed to to turn into a special effect or what a special effect would look like and of course they want to publish their paper because they want and they certainly want their film showed in schools and stuff because they're going to get a kickback for that because it's their work no but the point is it's, it's, it's because of its accurate and even if they didn't show the whole film, because it's accurate, it, if you're seeing something that somebody can tell you 
to the absolute best of our abilities. That's the most accurate representation we possibly will ever get of this thing because we can't actually well, go we, to one. That might get people excited. But it's changing all the time, isn't it? There was Not a different theory the, before Stephen King okay, right, came along and right. stuff. I don't know if you ever like watching, uh, you know, space programs. When I mean space programs, programs about space, not Patrick you know, Star Trek. Yeah, but then <laughs> then they show you a picture of one of Jupiter's ice moons. Or yes, something, right. Now they're not photos of Jupiter's ice moons. They are built up of the odd bits of photographic evidence yes. they got and all the rest of it. But you see something that is a pure simulation, but pretty damn accurate. It's like the dark side of the moon. We've never seen the dark side of the moon, which isn't necessarily true because it does rotate slightly different. So if 10,000 years ago, the early humans may have seen the dark side. But anyway, but the point being is they know what the dark side of the moon looks like. So if you look at a map of the moon, you can see the dark side of the moon. It's not a photograph because you can't light the damn thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so my point theory. is... So it's theory. Well, it's not theory because you can look at it in other ways other than with light. You can read something in the dark. You just don't look at it in the same wavelength of light. Absolutely. absolutely. But my point is, it's still enough to get people interested. Whenever you look at a picture of the moon or whenever you look at a moon globe, they don't have one side of it black, right? Because you can't see it. And that's the same thing as this. It's a, yes, it's a simulation, but it's enough. The fact that it's, the truest representation we can get. We don't really know what Pluto looks like, no. but you can get, I mean, I've got one in the kitchen and for the life of me, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, when you've got the solar system all on rods and what have you, mm. and it's a very simple word and I can't remember it. Now we don't know what Pluto looks like, but my Pluto has got little bumps and things on it. And I think it's based on some factualness. And to me, it's important that it's not just a bluey gray planet. It's got something there. And so someone that's vaguely interested in science, the, the fact that somebody could show me, that was what impressed me about this film because I knew that was an accurate or as accurate simulation as we could get. Therefore, I became interested. The rest mm. of it left me a bit cold. But well, that, well, this, me, got this, me interested. This Kip Fawn, <laughs> so he says, yes. makes me chuckle. He says, my only pet peeve is the Disney movie, The Black Hole which was both a bad movie and a bad depiction of science. I understand Disney is make it, remaking it, and presumably this time it will do a far, far better job. This guy's got no idea what he's talking about. Of course they're not going to do a better job. <laughs> Sorry, who's got Star Wars? <laughs> uh, oh, dear. Well, There's no wrong with Black Hole. Well, anyway. So, and you've got a modicum of intellect, unlike certain other has. people on the other side of the panel. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of science? Do you find it interesting? Yeah, I mean, I mean, and even using using a film, you know, to sort of get a, a point across like this. Uh, when I was in school, they used to have that with history. Yeah, you know, we we watched things like Schindler's List, which was a mm. sort of portrayal of history. In, and you could get an emotional content from that. exactly. Content. You got you got something you know more mm. than you get from like a documentary or a textbook or whatever. Also, mm. to see, I mean, that was the point of the film to see something like I said, it would scare you. There is an emotional attachment to it. And that emotional attachment to that bit mm. of made-up film as it is, but that emotional attachment could be enough to spark a real interest in the science. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I just think it's very dangerous to mix entertainment and science, supposedly science fact, together. That's that's all I'm saying. They, don't, they can't lead to anywhere good. But, that, but that's happened for years. It's happened I know. And look, sci- look that's what happened. science fiction is. Yeah. That's science Nosferatu, fiction. Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Well, but, but I tell you what. Einstein, it started all the way back then. Yeah. Mary Shirley, let's blame her. I tell you what, 
you you accuse me of um, worshipping at the the altar of Christopher Nolan. I well, not really. He made a superb film, but really, it's Hans Zimmer's score that um, <laughs> that that does it for me. A, a, Which a, you wouldn't hear in space. A, oh, no, crap. you wouldn't. It is a superb piece of work. That can you hear Hans Zimmer's score in space? Not if you're polite enough to turn the other way. Well, right. who knows? Right, let us move on <laughs> to the fiasco. This is Top Gear news. Various stories around the end of the show and where it's going. Let's start with. Did everybody watch the last episode last night? I've never seen one episode of Top Gear. In that case, you may go. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I watched it. You watched it. Did you see the enormous elephant in the background? I did see that, and it did make me chuckle. Yeah. That's actually quite witty. I kind of sniggered at it. I thought it was okay, yeah. What are you talking about? Here was the thing about... It's a bit like this podcast. There's an enormous elephant in the corner. Yeah, well, he's not included in this conversation because he's never watched Top Gear. But if you sit there quietly, we can pretend your name's Jeremy too. Yeah. Jeremy too who? (laughs) It's not an owl, you know. No. Here was the weird thing about that. They actually had that in this... You know, in the film as well as in the studio. You know, it was supposedly something that was just happened to be there in the film they made. Really, I never yeah, noticed you know, that. It's like it's like um, yeah, it was there before this whole incident. It's like that just made me suspicious of the whole. What are you talking mm. about? Please tell me what you're talking. I have no idea. If someone's listening, they might have no clue what you're talking. All right, about. so they start off with the um, with the the Top Gear music, and they're about to show you so. Two films, the two films that were um, that were left over from the uh, from from all the shooting that took place. That would have been the last two episodes. Would have been the last two episodes, yeah. yeah. But uh, obviously, a notable exception was Jeremy Clarkson because James May and Richard Hammond were were there and they were doing all all the introductions and everything. Well, there was an addition of his uh, face. <laughs> Wasn't uh, there? Richard Hammond, he had that sort of doggy beard thing. Oh, of course, yeah, he did have a beard. That, yeah. that was that wasn't, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, so Richard Hammond, James May, and Richard Hammond's beard. Um, and at the back of... Walk into a bar. Yeah. <laughs> at, the ba- at the back of the studio was a giant elephant. Just sitting there. For no it apparent. was just sitting there. Oh. It was the elephant in the room. I think <laughs> you meant literal. No, no, that's definitely, definitely literal. It was, yeah, it was It was really, really quite something for a few seconds. Um so anyway, yeah, they they showed the first, the first film. Um, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're really selling this to me. I got it say. was. Fi- I tell you what, the the la- as far as the last two films go, they they really were very adequate. Um, it, it, it felt more like the sort of thing we used to get before the sort of recent it, slump. Yeah, it it, you know? it was better. It's, it was better than it has been. Mm, put it that yeah. way. I mean, this the series that came before all this, that was, was overall better, really, it was I improved. thought, yeah. you know, than, the, than some of the recent ones. I mean, the whole ambulance, you know, sort of challenging film, mm. you know, that, that was, you know, back to more like what it used to be in its peak. You know, mm. Mm. Like this, this wasn't quite up there with that, but there was, you know, it was, there was, was one enough. time, there was one time when I, I actually had a, had a, a sort of a laugh out loud moment. The time when you're laughing at something that's so funny, you can't actually breathe was when, um, 
was when I think it was when um, uh, James got out of his car, uh, stepped, to the, and he actually slipped over and fell flat on his face. Or was that? Or was that Richard? I can't remember which one. No, no, no. It was James. It I was thought. James. Yeah. So, and and that, he looked like he was not pretending to be annoyed. Yeah, he looked at. He actually looked quite pissed off. But I think there might have been some bleeps that they didn't bother. <laughs> they just didn't. Look, mm. in general, I thought it was a little bit uh, feeling sorry for itself. It was. Right? The studio bits were. It was almost like an obituary. It was. It was, it yeah. was a bit like. Mm. Um, right, we're not allowed to say anything untoward but we're going to do these stares into the camera. We're yeah. going to do that. You can tell we don't really want to be here, but we're contractually obliged to do this, otherwise we won't get paid. And uh, Jeremy's been a naughty boy, and the best way we can all get out of this is just to do this last little thing and then just hope everyone <laughs> forgets about us while we go off to Netflix or somewhere else. And then, to top it all off, no ending music, just yeah. You a know what? The only credits. time you see that is when you've got some major character in a soap opera dying. They don't play the last credits. You yeah, know, or that, that time of- when Peter when Peter Davidson as the Doctor, his um one of his, um what's Aldrich, what's his wasn't it? Uh, Aldrich. Ad- Adric, that's it. He 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 was killed, and it was just a broken star and credits roll. Yeah, I mean, it it was a bit like what the hell are the BBC joining in this game for? The BBC should have said no. You're 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 obliged to do a zany, witty, whatever nonsense you normally do type show. If Jeremy can't be in the studio, then so mm. be it. If we can't have an audience, so be it. But please don't make it look like something really important has ended and you've all died. It's the, thank you for watching. I really mean that. Thank you. Episode. Mm. It's like, oh, for goodness sake. You'll see them next week when your paycheck doubles. I have a, I have a, I have a feeling that the BBC just wanted to just, just get the thing yeah, out go the door. Away. Just yeah, get on yeah. with it. Just do it. <laughs> We've yeah, paid. Very, we've paid for these very. two. Uh, these two um, films to be done. Can we just get them out? Someone's. So, yeah, I mean, out. actually, I mean, like the films, the, the bits that the were pre-recorded before all this nonsense mm. happened. It was. Was they funny? Uh, were they good? Um, I wanted to enjoy them. Now I, I, I lied. Now I watched. I'm not a watcher. Top Gearer. I'm not a touch, Top Gear watcher. But I thought, you know what? This is obviously going to come up. This is the last of a show. I've watched enough of them in the past with my kids. And I don't mean this to be rude to anyone else, but even my children aren't immature enough to enjoy it anymore. And um, they, they just grew out of it, you know? Top Gear, and they used to like it, and they've grown out of it. And mm-hmm. the reason they've grown out of it is because they both were into cars. And then they would like, well, it's got nothing to do with cars. And that's fine, because they wanted to watch it about cars, and it just that wasn't what they did anymore. And other people enjoyed the personalities and the jokes and whatever. And, but it's like anything. If you take it away from cars and you turn it into personalities and jokes, that's always going to wear out. Like every other show that's based on anything other than fact. If you look at the programs that have lasted the longest in general, they're based on fact. They're, you know, they're technical programs. EastEnders. No, but they're not the ones I'm talking about. You know, you mentioned Sky at Night, and that was going for 50 years or whatever. Yeah. You can always yeah. do something because it's based in... You can always do a car show because there's always going to be a new car. There's always been vintage cars. There's always something to talk about because it's a growing subject. It's never going to end. But so, because they made it into personalities, there had to be an end anyway just well, because mm, of that's what it was. But it was, it was more that they tried to mix the two things, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. You look because they still stuff. they still tried to keep the car element, you know, as much as no, they sort of turned cars into part of the joke as well. 
Yeah, but I mean, mm. that last show, was like, I, I, like, you know, I watched it. And funny enough, mm. I'll, I'll be honest, Tony, I watched it out of respect for you more than anything. Because I knew you'd watch it. And I knew you'd, you know, we'd have a chat about it. Even if it mm. wasn't on here, we'd have a chat about it. And I thought, look, you know, the guy loves this thing. I, I want to watch it. I want to see... I, I, want, I wanted it to be something really good and all the people that really liked it we could go off and go oh there you go we had a really good send off well know. compared compared to recent episodes it was better but I wouldn't know because I hadn't watched any of the others yeah. but why, yeah. why do you feel the BBC felt, BBC felt compelled to show it I mean after all the stuff had gone down because why they paid just for say, it yeah but so what I mean it's not going to cost them much to just say okay we'll put that on for DVD uh, at some and point and people want to see it well, I think a lot of it is because there's a lot of people, no matter what happened and what come out as the truth, because everyone admitted it in the end, the BBC took a kick in. And I don't think the BBC had any other choice but to do what they did. And I think Absolutely. they probably did it right in the end. Mm. And they just said, look, there's X amount. And what did they say? 5.5 million people watched it. So there's 5.5 million people that wanted to see this. You know, just because he's been a bit of an... I wonder if he it. Because he's <laughs> a bit of a numpty... And he sort of messed it up for everyone. There's 5.5 million people that want to watch it. Who are we to not let them see it? They should have done it like you said the other week, like Doctor Who, where at the end they, they more, a telemorph into uh, Chris Evans. Because everyone tunes in for that on Doctor Who. Yeah, you know? but they could do that anyway. They could just take a clip of, uh, you know, what they could do. They could do like um, an empty stage, right? And they could just have a picture of um, Clarkson. Well, they don't need his permission. They could just do like that um, TARDIS thing as it fades in, right? And then it could fade out and Chris Evans could come in it in the new series and then an audience could appear and everyone could carry it. You know what? I wouldn't have put it past Chris Evans doing that and and getting Jeremy Clarkson to agree. And the BBC have even done that with a motoring-based thing before because when when F1 changed over from, you know, Jake to Susie Berry as a presenter, they sort of did the whole thing of Jake Humphrey leaving. They did the fake regeneration and it was Bernie Eccleston stood there Mm, at the end. Yeah. Do do you reckon Chris Evans would ever get any one of the three back on as a guest? (laughs) Well, you know. Well, they would do if they didn't have any other work because I don't think they're as loyal as people like to think they are. Oh, you know, you know, I'm just thinking like halfway once if he gets established, he, he has Jeremy Clarkson back on as I like if see. they continue the fastest lap, he probably won't because he'll probably go, want to go off and do his own things. But you know what they should do? They should do have secret Stig and every now and again <laughs> one of them be yeah, the Stig. That'd be an idea. And then they take yeah. their helmet off. Yeah, I can see I can see James May coming and doing something or something like that. But because I mean he's staying he's staying with the BBC and doing all kinds of things, isn't he? But yeah, so, uh, so is the other one. I think. Yeah, so, yeah. so is Hammond because he does like um, some of the stuff on CBBC, doesn't he? Does he does, yeah. Yeah, sort of kids science based stuff. Well, he yeah. had to do something again where back he wasn't to the shortest person on the stage. Yeah. So so from from where Top Gear has ended to where it's where it's headed some people say it's itv some people think it's netflix or amazon or we we did this last Channel week four so well th- there's been there's been no word so far you know why because mm-hmm. i reckon they might be just building milking this it. up yeah milking it as much as they can because yes. whoever it does end up being if if they think there's a bidding war <laughs> then there is one. It doesn't mm. actually need to be a bidding war. Yeah, to I mean, create like, a, a bidding popular, war, yeah. It's a popular program, but, you know, in a funny way, about, right, this, this might be utter nonsense, but I've got a funny feeling that 
part of the reason it did so successful for the for the BBC is because the Americans liked it because it was so British and it was so BBC. Do you know what I mean? If it's coming from somewhere else in the British way, or if it goes on Netflix and it's no longer a BBC program, and I don't mean BBCs in the made the way they make it, but it will lose some of, of parts, its luster, won't it? Yeah, a lot of parts of the world go, oh, it's British, it's BBC, and that gives it an added boost. Mm. And I, I just think that if they go too zany and too do whatever they want and forget about the constraints, some of the const- some of the reasons people watch these things is because in a funny way, it's it's quaint in its stupidness because it's not American zany. It's not, you know, madcap. It's none of that. It's just British eccentricity driving cars and being silly. Even when you've got sort of had this sort of foreign versions, like you've had the American Top Gear, which wasn't didn't do so well over here when we, we got it. No. Or the Australian no. one. You know, they're sort of, you're right, they're very sort of in key with the sort of, you know, a, it's about that country, you know, the Australian Top Gear, the humour there is sort of, yeah. you know, shrimp, you know, shrimp on the barbie type stuff. It, 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 you know, you've got all the stereotypes there almost for want of a better. And Fifth Gear yeah. didn't exactly do well, did it? No, but, but, you know, that, I think that tried to take itself too seriously, if uh, anything, yeah. whereas, whereas that's one thing this never did. But this, you know, Top Gear was always good at getting attention, good or bad. Yeah. And I think that's that's one thing they'll take over for sure. I mean, but even those last to, two films, but they need to keep the the keep the real Britishness because it almost had something of old England about it. It had something about um, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of people's names because they've gone out of my head. You know, like the old English actor, the sort of the absurdity of the old English actor, and the you know the slightly I don't know. Even when they were being bad, they were really terrible at being bad. You know, it was that sort of thing. I mean, they weren't particularly witty and they weren't particularly zany. And, okay, it might play well here, but it played really well around the world because it was so British in its... You know, they didn't just do silly things yeah. like smash cars up. They smashed cars up in a very middle class, <laughs> middle <laughs> like it was a min- like yeah. it was minis. It was a certain type of. Car. But the only problem with that argument is they also enjoyed Benny Hill. So, that's what I'm saying. When it comes to their judge, I'm not. I'm not slagging it off. It, you can have like Steady. whatever you like. Steady. But when all I'm saying is, this is the same. Many of the same um, markets that also enjoyed Benny Hill and thought he was hilarious, and Norman Wisdom as well. Norman Wisdom, typically English as well. He sold. He done. He done massively. I think it was in Asia, wasn't it? Norman Wisdom. He, he became a Albania. <laughs> it was somewhat well, weird. Monty, he was often the king of Albania. He turned yeah. it down. So Monty right. Python did well in the states, and um, yeah. um uh, But I would say Forty Towers <laughs> is a better example because Forty Towers. There's no one else other than a British per, uh, British comedian that would sit there with a, a twig of a tree and beat his goal. Right? <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. that is Top Gear for me. Actually, now, now, you, now you mention it. Into a ditch. Mm. Now it's you mention slapping it. Slapping it with a wet kipper. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you know, you're you're right. I just I just think it's too much navel gazing going into what made Top Gear Top Gear. It's, it was just one of those lightnings in the bottle thing that the Americans. <laughs> got attached to that's all and there's no reason why they could probably mind or get attached to chris evans who knows i mean we don't know how it's 
properly marketed over there. I know it's. I think Chris Evans needs to calm down for it to work because if he comes across as zany, he's I not think he has play. calmed down. He's calmed down no end yeah. since the mid to early night, since early to big breakfast and stuff. Oh, the, the, it matters who yeah. he's playing off of. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, they, I think they need an older, older person, someone that makes James May look like a get up and go. Are you putting your hat in the ring, then, Alex? Is that no, you announcing? Not, not even me, old enough. You know, they need someone really that. You know, their idea of a nice car is is something that won't go over forty mile an hour. You know. And it has to cost 20 grand. And, no, and it has to have a cigar holder and somewhere to put your chilled port in the back. Maybe in a strange twist, Oz Clark. No, oh, I'll tell you what they yeah, James oh, oh, yeah, I'll watch that. <laughs> I, need, I need to get Christopher Nolan involved and show the science of the internal combustion. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Unless you want the show to collapse again, in on Chris, itself. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I've got his name now. It's gone out of my head. Who's mm-hmm. taking over? Chris, Chris, Chris Evans, Evans, right? Chris Evans is very, very good at doing the ridiculous setup stuff. He's always done it well, yeah. hasn't he? He's always done the... Okay, even stuff. when he does the one show, when he's on, it will be, okay, so who's the, the grandma in the country with the biggest grin? It will always be something that's so... <laughs> you know, it's yeah. always something that you think, you've got to have a very strange mind to think up that question. And that's what Top Gear did with cars, really. How can we take a car and almost make it a, a British style of ridiculousness. Mm. I know. Stick a yacht aerial on the back and see if we can make it float <laughs> in a in a bucket of jelly. Did you know? I? See, because I've never watched the show. Did it used to be before Clarkson and, and the other two came along? Was it about cars that we could buy? Yeah, they are the ones who turned it into Bugatti. Some and- sports, some high performance sports cars, mostly four door saloons. Yeah, uh, it was mainly well, but it, it was that for about five years after they got it. It was only the last yeah. five years or something they changed it. They, oh. I remember they, I remember they used to do it, the big, the big long films that they did. They used, to, we used to get one of those in a series. Yeah, yeah, it would be but, about a certain car or something like that, and then well, we'd get two per series, and then they do, I don't know, three or four per eight, eight <laughs> to ten episode um, series, and then they just did one a week. There was one series that was it was basically I think they did two episodes where it was just feature length. Right, well, the, these audience members are all quite angry now because we're just going to show you a big long film. Bye bye. Mm. <laughs> Plus, you know, I'm, I got like certain parts of America; they're all very green conscious and stuff. So, really? I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can imagine it t- like Top Gear done well in Texas and some of the middle states because you know their 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 cities that are built on big cars and powerful cars and most a lot of people there can actually afford the damn things whereas we just look at them with envious eyes in, to a certain extent not that I want a Bugatti or anything like that I'd rather have it in cream buns or something I don't know. cream but that's, buns that's me I wouldn't waste that much money on a car is what I'm saying you'd buy. Two hundred thousand pounds worth of cream buns. Well, then I can feed the elephant in the room. Hey! Oh, nice. Right. Wow. Let's skip through these last two stories very quickly. Uh, the music, Glastonbury. Yeah, Lionel Richie draws festival's biggest crowd. This story from BBC.co.uk. Lionel Richie has drawn the biggest crowd of this year's Glastonbury festival. With at least 100,000 people estimated to have watched the singer, uh, the Pyramid Stage field was packed uh, to see the star play hits like Dancing on the Ceiling, Hello, 
and Say You, Say Me. Uh, the event then closed with rock legends The Who performing their hits on the Pyramid stage as part of a world tour that has been billed as their last. So, Carl, you... you- I- yeah, because I saw this. I saw this story in the document. I didn't watch Glastonbury live because it's no. I I don't know how to watch it live because I've got no terrestrial telly into the into the house. I have to well, watch everything. It's quite simple. Buttons, it's streaming. quite simple. Yeah, you you wait. You wait until the Glastonbury. Glastonbury. What, what am I? <laughs> Some kind of country. Glastonbury. Um, well, you wait until the Glastonbury year, coverage you know, has we finished. We put our boots on and we wade around in the muck and the dirt and, and, and uh, generally just mix with the general public. And then know? one boots up the chrome or the Firefox yes. and then uh, loads up the e-player. Jeez, well, no, put the sausage were, on. <laughs> there were live streams as well as it was going on. Yeah, indeed. And we have sticky so, buns. No, yeah, you, true. true well, we know was, you've been having problems recently. Right. But <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, no, sorry, right. I digress. Um, yeah, so I watched Lionel Richie's performance, right? and and it's one of those things where I always imagine if I was a, an artiste, this is what I'd live for. So he comes out, and he, there is just a sea of people there. I mean, I don't. I think he played. Didn't he play Live Aid? Yeah. On. Yeah. So you know, that's going back like, to the eighties and stuff. But I'm not sure what the numbers were in comparison. It wasn't exactly but, the biggest audience in the world. I mean, it was the old Wembley Stadium. It was actually quite small. Well, I don't think he was here. He done it. In, no, he did it in. Philadelphia. Oh, was he in Philadelphia? Philadelphia. Oh, well, in that case, yes. But um, you know, just the fact that the age that he's reached now, and he goes out on stage and he's got a hundred or thousand people yelling his song back at him. And again, this is why I thought we'd hope. I was hoping that we'd get to the uh, the streaming stuff at this stage of the. Um, the show because how do those people know Lionel Richie? It's, it's because they've discovered him, you know, not because they went out and bought his album necessarily, but because they've heard his albums, because they're famous, they've been at parties, they hear, you know, they're not necessarily paid to hear what he sings, but his songs are so classic, or they are viewed as classic now. And when he was like uh, singing Dancing on the Ceiling and Hello, I, you know, I, I felt generally happy. For him and the way he was performing it, and the way he just seemed to em- to 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 revel in every single moment of this event that he was invited to, um, and it just it just showed the sheer joy on his face. And he wasn't worrying about revenues; he wasn't worrying about anything. He was just an artist performing his music in front of a a very glad cloud, a crowd, and they I were th- cheering him on, and he was cheering them on, and it was just, it was just beautiful. It was a wonderful thing to see. I think that's where you get when, when, when you're at the point in your career where Lionel Richie is, um, where you are, as we've already said, of a certain age, you've sold a certain amount of albums, you have enough money in the bank, and at the moment you're doing live shows simply for the enjoyment of it. I mean, if you if you look at if you look at, um, it's like when I went to see. Uh, I went to see Genesis uh, back in 2007, I believe it was. Um, I, I, when I was watching them, I was honestly thinking to myself, they're, they're they're not doing it for the money. They're doing this because they want to they want to have a bit of fun. And you get it's like, and also I went to see Rush a year later. It's just having fun on stage. <laughs> it's good. It's good fun. I mean, you, you, have you ever seen Status Quo live? Yes. Well, yes. And um, have I? <laughs> I think I have. You mu- well, you must have. Isn't done. that an oxymoron? Yeah. Well, oh dear. 
<laughs> no, I, anyway, I definitely saw them at um, Lame Kickoff Live Aid. So I, saw, I saw them at the Oasis. Spectacular. In Swindon. But, but no, my point is, like when, they, when the camera pans across the crowd, I'm thinking, my God, half of these people weren't even alive when Lionel Richie kicked off his career and stuff. So somewhere along the line, they've, they've heard of him, they picked up his stuff, because they're all singing, like when he's singing Dance on the Ceiling, which when it was released, I didn't think was that good a track. But when he's singing it, and they're all jumping in, and, and for... And it's just one of those moments. I I don't know who planned this, but the the security staff down the front they all yeah, started that was just sing- them. They planned it. <laughs> I thought security that was brilliant. Did a, an orchestrated dance. It was oh, yeah. just spon- it looked yeah. spontaneous yeah, and, and wonderful. It was. So now I, it, I watched this. I watched it with my wife. Right, but I was you know back in the day. I thought Lionel Richie was he's the man, and he was so totally cool. And that is what I got from this, right? Now, I mean, I've seen Lionel Richie interviewed afterwards, and he was actually interviewed tonight on The One Show. And what he was saying is, you know, he'd never been to Glastonbury. He really didn't know what to expect. And he was on the the classic artist part of the weekend. And it's always the Sunday afternoon. On the pyramid Nothing stage. else is going on on the pyramid stage. And normally the most you can hope for is a little bit of people being interested. But people are being nice to you. No one's going to give you a hard time. Because it's that time of day where most people have only just woken up from the night before, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he went out there, and he, went, he wasn't so much nervous, but he wasn't expecting, you know, he just knew there'd be a lot of people because there was nothing else going on. And it was packed solid, right? And then he started singing, and they started singing back to him. And he was going, you know, he was just basically saying, I was absolutely blown away. Because he was saying there was like three generations, and he had granny... And mum and the kids. And he was honest, he said the granny might have been the only one that actually knew who I was first time round. You know? And he said they were just singing it back. And he kept using the word love. And he kept saying it was just amazing. But it was amazingly cool because of, I mean, when it first started, there was a few of them singing back. And I was watching it with my wife thinking, oh, that's nice. It's a, you know, it's a good percentage of them getting into it. But it's a Sunday, a really hot Sunday afternoon. How can you get into it? And every song, more and more and more. Mm. And by the end of it, you honestly, you could almost not hear Lionel Richie for the screaming and shouting and the sheer excitement of the whole thing. And it was all utterly and totally wonderfully good-natured. And, you know, Lionel Richie had a look on his face like, wow. Because he was basically saying, this might be the best gig I've ever done because it's not about my performance, it was about their performance. They were giving it back to me more than I could ever give it to them. And he, he was absolutely blown away. And they were blown away. And it is going to be one of those things historically that's going down is, did you see that like, uh, that Glastonbury performance with Lionel Richie? Oh, it will be like, did, did you see uh, Queen at Live Aid? You know, it will mm. be that type of thing. And I was lucky enough to see both. You know, and it was... And it was pretty spectacular. And the reason I put this in there, because one, I thought it was a... I think you, Carl, used the right word, the joy of it. The unadulterated joy of 100,000 people giving to one man and that one man trying to give it back to them. And it was like, that is music. That is what music is for. It's not for people to worry about streaming. It's not to worry about how many CDs you sold. It's not to worry about how much money you could possibly make out of it. It's to do with mum man going, I've just touched 100,000 people's heart and they gave it back to me. And if I die tomorrow, I'm going to die a happy man. The difference right. between Lionel Richie and Taylor Swift, I think. Well, you know what? Why well, I brought it up, because my wife said to me, you've got to mention uh, Kane West. And I went, 
Kanye West. Kanye West, sorry. <laughs> now, the reason it's really important they Kanye get his name West. wrong and I'm horrible to him, right? <laughs> is, first of all, my wife said to me, there's very few people in this world that can sing Bohemian Rhapsody other than Ugly. Queen, right? Um, the two guys in the car from Wayne's World and the Muppets, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he tried to do something with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and destroyed it to such a point that he actually sort of gave up <laughs> and started. Oh, wow. He, oh, it was just absolutely crucified it to the point that even he went, you know, you know what, I'm not going to get away with this, right? But he introduced himself as the biggest, no, what was it? The greatest oh. living rock star on the planet, right? And I was like, because my wife was getting really upset about it because she really likes rock and she's really into her music. And I said, the point is, he's done that. So you'll have a conversation with me about it. He's one of these people that he is quite happy to upset people as long as that upset gets in publicity. I said, let's, let's not talk about it. Turning back said, to a previous story, yeah. Wasn't he the one that interrupted Taylor Swift at some award ceremony? Yeah, yeah, I think it yeah. was. And <laughs> so he has what? some got, taste. Perfect I've, circle. Uh, <laughs> no, but I've got, I've, got a new, I've got a new hero. Do you know who Lee Nelson is, the comedian? Vaguely. Yeah, he has the sort of Chav character, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. He ran on stage and interrupted Oh. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping it would be uh, Roger. He got on, he gave it all that, right? I, I can't remember, he said something stroppy like, yeah, I wanted to make, uh, you know, make it a bit more black. You know, because he's another one of these, uh, his, his joke is he's a white comedian that, you know, pretends to be one of the lads. Yeah, you know, black. yeah. I don't know. Oh. But, um, you know, and then the security guards dragged him off. And whatever. <laughs> so, you know, it was just the whole thing was, there was a lot of people really upset saying, why is this Kanye West heading up whatever it was, Glastonbury? And he obviously took it really wrong because he obviously believes his own publicity. And he was just mm. basically trying to bait everybody that didn't think he should be doing it. I mean, let's face it, you lost, um, who did you lost? The Foo Fighters, right? For no fault yeah. other than... <laughs> stage diving. <laughs> he fell off the stage. stage. <laughs> but then, mm. you know, then people were having a bit of a pop at Florence and the Machines because they stepped up. But no, they stepped up. You know, she's probably going, oh my word, oh, I'm going to Glastonbury. And now considering I'm she'd already broke her foot doing a yeah. very similar thing yeah. you know, only months that. ago. But, you know, I mean, I thought in general, you know, they did a good job, right? And as my wife said, the biggest bands in the world aren't going to be free to turn up at a drop of a hat. They're no. all doing tours. They've all got this. And if they're not on tour, they're probably having a few months off because they've been working for five years. Because they've so just been anyone, on tour, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyone you can get in, you've got to be really grateful and really lucky. So I think in general, the Kanye West thing, like there's people that like him and said he was really good. Most people said the old stuff was good. Now, I don't even know the bloke is right. And I wouldn't know one of his songs if it jumped up and bit me, right? Or if it was even on Apple Music or whatever it's called, right? It's on Tidal. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't know anything about it, right? But even the ones that said they were Kanye West fans said he did a couple of the old ones to get us happy and then he just tried to sell us his new album. That's not Glastonbury, yeah. right? That's exactly <laughs> what Glastonbury isn't. Glastonbury is Lionel Richie going to 100,000 people and saying, I'm going to give you a really good time. And, and that's what it's about. 
And do you know what enamored me even more with Lionel, Lionel Richie set? When they're doing the dance on the scene a bit and they say, jump, jump, they start, these bands started also playing Van Halen's Jump in the background and they mixed it all together and it sounded yeah. wonderful. Yeah, the whole thing, I mean, it, it was really, it was a joyous thing in the afternoon. And then they replayed it in its entirety because they basically said, you know what, this is one of the best things you're ever going to see at Glastonbury and we're just going to play it again. And like I say, the Florence and Machine stuff was good. It was a good Glastonbury, and I think the weather not being absolutely atrocious helped. That's changed. Yeah, yeah, um, that does make a change. You know what? I think they need to. Glastonbury is big enough to stop with the gimmicks now. You know, they just need to have some really good bands, some really good music. I mean, last year didn't they? Uh, I mean, they on the Sunday. They, I mean, I don't know if it was last year they had um, Neil Diamond or the year before. They always have people that you'd think, how are they going to entertain other fans? <laughs> Dolly Parton sticks yeah. to Yeah. There's a hundred, for some reason. The difference is, and the beauty, and this is what Carl alluded to, the beauty of it is 100,000 people that want to be entertained. And yeah, okay, I don't know who Lionel Richie is or I'm not a major Lionel Richie fan, but he's come here to give us a good show. We're going to give him everything we can in return. It's what music is meant to be. And it was wonderful. And, you know, long may it continue because Glastonbury, I felt, had started to lose its way because... It had just become ridiculously big. And this year, they seem to try and get it back with the Foo Fighters and whatnot. But, you know, events happened and it went slightly pear-shaped. But like I say, Lionel Richie, I, to him, to me, he, he made Glastonbury memorable for me this year. So did you watch the whole thing, Alex? On and off, I watched quite a lot of it. So did the Dalai Lama play his greatest hits as well? Yeah, well, he, he did. He, he, <laughs> and they, and they, didn't they give him a birthday cake and sing happy birthday to him? Uh, I would say they've got to pay for that if they do that, you know? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I think they, they, they don't overturn that law. law oh, did they? Yeah, okay. I do you know what? If you sue the Dalai Lama, I think you're going to get some bad... This is the record companies. They'll sue anyone. <laughs> yeah, sue the Dalai Lama. Well, I there you go. Your, I heard your Mac and Forth moments. He went off on a range on that one, didn't oh, he? Oh, dear. <laughs> True, though. We forget not against so the Dalai Lama, I must No, no, no. no. Not, not that one, anyway. How can, you go, how can you go off on one at the Dalai Lama? Oh, dear. I don't know. No, no, no. Right. I, I stole my dress sense on him. Indeed. Um, the... <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's just let's touch briefly on the movies. Uh, Top Gun sequel to feature Tom Cruise versus <laughs> drones storyline. Anybody? Well, drone versus drone. Pretty much. Would he be drones versus center tooth man? Would he be the oldest jet pilot? Yeah, pretty much. If he was on it, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure since, they don't. Since the guy there. from Independence Day, at the end, you're the one who flies into. The- oh, unless yeah, unless he's the teacher. Now, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, because there he was the teacher, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah, yeah. He, he, well, you know, he doesn't look any older because I don't, don't know how as many as, bits of the original anyway. As long as we don't, have don't to bring po- back Kelly McGillis. Have you seen her recently? <laughs> oh, no. As long as we don't have to put up with the uh, volleyball beach ball bit, that's indeed. That's well, I, I tell you what, the last time I saw um, Top Gun was in the 80s at some point. Um, uh, but I have seen Days of Thunder very recently, so essentially I've seen Top Gear recently, but with uh, Top, Gear. Top Gun. Top yeah, no, I saw Top Gear on Sunday. Yeah, I saw Top Gun about, recently because yeah, I saw Days of Thunder. About, <laughs> right. It's a bit about Top Gun, right? It's got very little to do with the film. It's just, when that came out, I got my first full Prologic kit. And that bit, when the, the jets fly up and they start playing Highway to the Danger Zone, and I had, like, you know, 300 watts per channel blasting out. <laughs> I tell you what, the room <laughs> rocked. That, that was like, 
you, I was lucky I lived attached to this. You didn't inadvertently build the simulators or Oh, <laughs> man, yeah. the music, with that rumble and then the music kicking in, I don't get, you could have been dead, it would have brought you back to life. It Actually, was, no, thinking about, sorry, when I think about Top Gun, it really did sort of kick off the Michael Bay era of movie. I know it wasn't him, it was Tony Scott, wasn't it? Or, it was Tony Scott, um, yeah. Yeah, but he, you know, that real excitement, pounding rock music, Lots of energetic action, lots of like hunky action stars, and the femme—well, not the femme fatale, but the the woman who was powerful and the cool thing. And it, I, I, I can always remember that being sort of the first of that sort of genre, sort of thing. And, yeah, and it's surprising it, it, how it long kick off something. Yeah, yeah and Tom Cruise is still going strong today. Like we're going to get um, Mission Impossible five soon. And With he's him still hanging doing, off a plane, yeah. Yeah, he's still doing the action stuff. So I gotta give it to him. He's still he's still rocking it and he's still he's still making like good movies. I mean, he went for a period where he was doing some pretty poor stuff, but um, on on the whole, I've got to give Tom Cruise, you know, his credit because I still think he turns out some good movies and he's probably not as appreciated as he, he should be for you know, because he's got connections to Scientology and stuff like that. But <laughs> yeah. I think as an actor, as an action actor, he, he does really well. He was good in risky business. But mm, mm. well, just, well, what's, what's, jung- what's the one where they're set in the jungle? Uh, Tropic Heat. Tropic he Thunder. Amazing. He, he plays Amazing. That executive. That he does. Brilliant. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, there we go. Right. Let us move on to, uh, to a rather sadly stocked. Um, <laughs> epitaph actually and we'll start with um uh, oliver actor ron moody dies age 91 uh actor ron moody who played fagan in the hit film version of oliver has died age 91 good innings uh his family says uh, the british character actor was nominated for an oscar and won a golden globe for his performance in the 1968 charles dickens adaptation of Oliver, which seems to be missing in that sentence. Well, yeah, that's yeah, but it's on the film version of Oliver has done. Uh, I'm trying to read it really quickly. Anyway, no, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, no. yeah. Mm. He was born in Tottenham, just down the road from me. Yeah. This was announced the same day as Christopher Lee, wasn't it? As well. Yeah. It was. We well, missed we missed it. We missed it last week. Yeah, that's Sorry, why Carl we missed, missed it last week. <laughs> I don't do obituaries. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, very sad. He was a good actor. He was a very good writer. He was a good raconteur. I've got a number of books by him. And um, when I was, uh, I can't even remember what I was. I wasn't the Artful Dodger. I was another one of the uh, the um, Fagin's boys. Um, we did it at Sadler's Wells. And Ron Moody played Fagin. And I was, so that was 1978 or 9. Wasn't, wasn't there some controversy about his character? then came along because it was a stereotype. We were saying he was playing a stereotype. Yeah, but he got away with it because of he was that stereotype. Oh, okay. He was an East End Jew. So, no, what it was is there was, there was a, the actual Fagin that Charles Dickens wrote was an awful lot nastier, but he wasn't so stereotypically Jewish. But he made him more friendly, but more Jewish. There was more oy vey to him than oy you. So, um, but yeah, he got a lot of stick, but I, I suppose at the time when this came out, was the world ready for a musical version of a pretty horrific Charles Dickens story? As you noticed, not many of the downtrodden Charles Dickens stories have been made into musicals. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was slightly stretching the point to make it have anything of a, a kindness to it. 
But, you know, Ron Moody as an actor was a superb actor. And, he, you know, he acted for years and years and years. Like I say, he wrote some wonderful books. He used to do after-dinner speaking. He was a, a good, interesting, funny guy of of a generation that, I know we're always saying it, and you will in obituaries, but of a generation that which are going, and they're not being replaced by the same sort of people. So, mm. you know... Mm. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, you know, if someone else comes along. But, you know, a great man, and I'll miss him. Indeed, indeed. Well, the next one on the list, um, Avenger, Avenger star Patrick McNee uh, passed away uh, very recently. Mm. died in uh, in California at the age of 93. This was a bit of a, this was a bit of a shock. I, in fact, I didn't even, I didn't even know he was still around. I thought, yeah, he, I, I thought he passed mm. away. You're right, I did. But he's, again, he is another... <sighs> As we said, as we said, Christopher Lee uh, before, I think it was. Uh, but he's just a stereotypical Brit. I mean, yeah. and he's just portrayed one. And that's what he made laid, made his mark. Obviously, playing Steed, um, and that's what made him famous around the planet. But you, I have to see him in other things as well. Like he pops up in a, a James Bond film, uh, Few to a Kill, I think. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, this is really cool. Look, you got John Steed driving around <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> just, I thought yeah. that was really cool. But uh, he appeared in a few other things as well. <laughs> a few movies and stuff. And again, he just, you know, it's hard because I don't know these people. I, I'm only known going by their screen persona, but you know, it, it's, you sure don't hear anything bad about them ever, yeah. but I don't know if that's because they're from a generation where that just wasn't done. I mean, yeah, yeah. but, um, I mean the last, last sort of role up and probably wasn't his last role, but the last thing I remember seeing him in, and this was in the nineties. Was with that, um, Thunder in Paradise? He was sort of the the grandfather owner of a hotel in that. You know the the thing with the boat. Sort of, uh, it's like yeah, he was a very grandfatherly character there. But that's how he'd always, even back in the Avengers, he'd sort of come across as that sort of gentle figure. You know, gentleman, quintessential gentleman. That's what. Yes. Yeah. That is a shame. Again, it's it's a very bad week. <laughs> it is. Well, well, I mean, the final the 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 final gentleman on our list, uh, James Horner, Oscar-winning Titanic composer. Uh, he died in a plane crash. Um, mm. He was actually he was actually piloting the plane. Uh, James Horner, the Hollywood composer who wrote the Oscar-winning score for Titanic, has died in a California plane crash, age sixty-one. Train pilot, he is uh, reported to have been alone aboard a small private plane, uh, which crashed north of Santa Barbara on Monday morning. Uh, the musician worked on three James Cameron films, as well as with Beautiful Mind, Braveheart, Troy, and Apollo Thirteen. Um, but the the thing the thing that I the film that I know him most for, or the films, um, I should say, is 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 actually his first is his first big film was Star Trek Two: uh, The Wrath of Khan. Classic track. Uh, and um, and if um, if you compare what he did on Star Trek Two to what uh, Jerry Goldsmith did with the motion picture, the motion picture is very, um, it's very, very lyrical, very uh, you know, very swirling and mysterious. And uh, um, and Horner went for he he went more for a a, a slight a bit more on the nose kind of drive yeah. driving things Slight, forward, slightly military beat to it, slightly sort of yeah. Because I think. Um, I mean, it was a different type of film anyway, really. They are completely different films, so that's why they they needed different, very different soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I I remember seeing um, uh, an interview with... 
with Nicholas Meyer, who directed uh, Star Trek Two. He 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 said he apparently he said to James Horner, um, "Don't don't try and out out Goldsmith Goldsmith. Just go with your own go with your own thing. Go go with something a lot more um, a lot more on the nose." And really, he he, he did. Um, he did succeed. He kind of pushed uh, pushed the the whole um, you know, Star Trek into a into a better into a better place. And of course, what what he set up in um, in Star Trek Two, he pushed even further in Star Trek Three with um, uh, with that. There's the whole um, the whole bit in Star Trek Three. You know, someone stealing the Enterprise. The, the the music that go that flows all the way through that and right out into the into the bit where the ship eventually comes out of space dock and everything calms down because we're in space again and mm-hmm. uh, and then the, the the whole the whole chase scene and everything like that and it's it's uh yeah he he will he will be uh, he will be missed i mean his, his his as i say his work on star trek um and on apollo 13 that's one of my one of my favorites uh, one of my favorite soundtracks and of course he but, did, is he did fantastic work on aliens as well some of the some of the cues some of the cues from aliens are, are slightly similar to um, to um star trek 2 and 3 i think mainly because uh mainly because aliens was so rushed but- yes it was because um i remember seeing a documentary i think it was where they were giving it at the last moment virtually because he just james cameron didn't know it was particularly what he wanted no. so so he was like literally down. He had a week's no, five days or something to write the entire score. I remember yeah. vaguely. Well, he needed to get. He basically, literally needed to get the music written, get it put on paper, so that the people could actually play the damn thing. You mm. know? Yeah, exactly. And it's always amazes me, like when you see these composers for the for these films, because you know we think of other composers like from. You know, far, you know, from way back in time, like Amadeus and, Be- and Beethoven. But these people, you know, when you think of classical music, a lot of a lot of like young folk today will associate a film score, especially if, if it's done in a classical fashion, to classical music. It'll be their first introduction to classical music, and the fact that these like him, like him and um, uh, John Williams, for example, can find mm. these hooks and make them memorable. And of course, obviously. The music in the film, you take a film, you take the music out of a film, that often the film just is flat. It's nothing. It's, 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 nothing, it's nothing there. Like you was mentioning Star Trek Two, for example, the whole bit where they're trying to escape, where Spock's down in the bowels of the ship and he's trying to get the engines back up. And that, that tension, yeah. that music yeah. is building and building and building and building. And it's like, it's, it's high. It's, it's, it's like on the edge of your sea stuff. But you take that music away from that scene, that scene's nothing. There's nothing. Yeah. 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 Sorry, Tom. Yeah, it's one of those weird, weird effects where I think it was quite recently there was a film called Drive that was actually rescored by somebody. All right. Um, yeah, it was originally done, and then it was, I think it was rescored, and it was actually shown on BBC Three with this sort of rescore. But I think it was someone from Radio One or connect, heavily connected with Radio One. Hmm. Um, yeah, and that did you know. It was, the idea was it had a completely different effect. It changed the tone of the film. Yeah. Even though yeah. what you saw. And the dialogue and the other sounds you heard were no different. Yeah. So yeah, you're right about that effect that that score can have. I just I was just going through his um what he'd done on IMDb and it suddenly come up Crossroads <laughs> TV series. And I thought, no. And I clicked <laughs> on it and it wasn't. It's an American no. series called Crossroads. Yeah. I thought, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but stuff like you know, the Apollo thirteen soundtrack, um Epic. the Avatar soundtrack. 
it's all you know it's 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 all great it's all great stuff but I, i'm obviously i know him i know him best for um for star trek two and three um mm. and uh yeah yeah big um yeah big a big loss and i put because uh, i i own i own the the star trek two soundtrack i think i bought it off google play or something like that that's probably the only place i can find it and uh yes i listened to that all the way through very much uh much enjoyment was had much enjoyment but uh, yes, he will be sadly missed. Right, let us get on to what we have been watching, reading, listening to, or playing this week. And at, 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 at the uh, at the risk of hurting Alex's feelings, <laughs> Alex, you may go first. So. Hey, what did I? Watch? I was about yeah, to read out Carl's actually because it was at the top. No, don't um, do that. Right, what did I watch? Right, first of all, now I watched a thing. Now it's been on. On is the right word. It's been available for ages now, but every now and again they make it re-available because they re-show it on... Um, now, it's a piece of work. It's part of the Time Shift series, and this is called uh, How to Be Sherlock Holmes, The Many Faces of a Master Detective. And it's just basically about... It's like the history of Holmes as such, but it's more about you know people that have played him, the actors that have played him. Um, so I'll just read you the synopsis because it's the easiest thing. For over 100 years, more than 80 actors have put, a, uh, put varying face to the world's greatest consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes. And many of them incorporated details such as the curved pipe and the immortal lion elementary, my dear Watson. That never featured in uh, Conan Doyle's original story. did not. <laughs> um, basically, it's just about the, you know, the people that have played him over the years from the various early um, William Gillette uh, all the way up to... You know, the latest, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, or whatever his name is this week. Bandersnatch. Um, yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> taking in basically everyone you've heard of, and unless you're really into Sherlock Holmes, a few people that most people wouldn't have. It's a really, really nice piece, and I've seen it before, and it just I, I saw it just happened to be on the iPlayer again because they re-showed it uh, on BBC4 quite recently. So, um, yep, I'd go and watch that. It's Are you going to... Are you going to see Mr. Are you going to see Mr. Holmes, Alex? Yeah, I, I do intend to go and see it. Um, I don't know. Worryingly, I sort of it was such a big build-up, and it's been out for about a week now, and I've heard absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I thought it was out. I was I was in the Metropolis a couple of days, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I saw adverts for it all over the underground. I was thinking, mm. oh blimey! I bet Alex and and people will be off. No, I mean, I just I haven't had time since it came out to what to go and see. It. I mean, I don't have any intentions, but like I say, it's one of those things that I'd have thought, you know, if it was particularly great, I'd have heard about it around. Well, I don't think he's got car chases and stuff. Yeah, it, it, I was going to say, could it possibly bird. could it possibly be a, the type of film that will not attract the younger viewer? So it'll just be people our age going to see it who will keep quiet about it and think, oh, that was good. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, I will report back when I've seen it, and I am looking forward to it. But, uh, yeah. Um, anyone fancy going to watch it? I shall be up for going to watch it very shortly when I'm just a bit more organised in my life than I am right at this moment. Uh, okay, now, secondly, I watch Radio Days on Netflix. Now, Radio Days is a Woody Allen film, but he's not actually in it, as far as I remember. Doesn't he narrate? Yeah, he narrates the whole way through it. It's based on it's a book basic, of his or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's basically based on a childhood, whether it's a real childhood or a fantasy childhood. It's very hard to know with Woody Allen where the real and the fake ends because they blend so beautifully together. 
but um, he it's just basically radio is a big part of his life because of his age and when he was born and it was pre-television, etc. And it was the relationship people had with radio and certain people on the radio and certain parts of their life with certain radio plays that they listened to and they watched at the time. And it's a very Woody Allen, New York, 1930s type story. But I've, I've always enjoyed them. Um, some, some of Woody Allen's stuff that went a bit more into the 70s and they were a little bit zany and stuff. I mean, they were fine, but I don't know. These are more emotional. These are more heartfelt and these are more honest to you know, where he comes from and his, you know, his background and his, you know, religion and his, you know, I mean, one of the things I like about Woody Allen is when he talks about religion, it's not necessarily in a, it's not negative, it's not positive, it's really honest. And it's like, it sort of talks about the hangups that religion has given him and the guilt that it's given him and the confusion it's given him. And, you know, he's not, he's not making a, comment on whether it's right or wrong he's just making a comment on what it can do to you and an honest comment and which is quite nice for a lot of people because a lot of people sort of go oh religion i'm supposed to do this i'm supposed to do that and if they've got any wavering thoughts or any any thoughts that are you know what i'm meant to feel good about this but i feel a bit guilty or you know i'm not the perfect christian jew muslim Hindu, or whatever it is and you feel bad about it he makes you think yeah well i'm normal because other people have thoughts as well and worries and frights. So yeah, I mean it's a lovely thing. It's on Netflix. It's you know, it's it's not really a hard watch. Some of his stuff is like you really have to think hard and go, what was that character doing? <laughs> what neurosis did he have? Who was he sleeping with? Who was he not sleeping with? This was just there was some tiny little bit of relationship, but it's not really about that. It's just about a family, different parts of a family and just almost soap opera-ish as in what goes on in their life. I've never actually seen, this is one of the few uh, Woody Allen films I've never actually watched because it never attracted me because I knew he wasn't in it, so to speak, as a, as a character because he was just narrating. So I'm definitely going to check this out. But have you ever seen The Front? He's not, he didn't actually direct that or write it, I don't think. He's just an actor in it. But he's, it's sort of like set in the time where there were blacklisting writers well, in Hollywood. And he, I have seen it, yeah. When you said that, I just went, hold on, yeah. I, yes, just, I, I just love that film so much. It's just, I love it. Brilliant. My, and it was my just favourite favorite lately is Deconstructing Harry. <laughs> that took yes. some real concentration. But yeah, fantastic. But this, you know, if you like Woody Allen, like I say, this is a lot less hard work than some of the other ones. And does he, 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 write, he does film every year now, doesn't he? He's for quite a while. He's been actually one year, he's done two. But um, yeah, he's been doing a lot of films here. Yeah. He's been doing a lot of work in London. So, um, yeah, he did. He went around Wimbledon, didn't he? Yeah. Match point. I yeah, match point. I'm going to watch uh, that one, actually, as well. I uh, wouldn't bother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was all right. Depends how much you like certain female American actresses, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I, I've always admired. I just, I don't know. It's one of those people I wish he's. Look, to make a genius, you've always, you'd need some flaws. I just wish his flaws weren't flaws that I disapprove of quite so much. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. And that's what I've been watching because I'm only allowed to because Carl says so. Oi, that's not me. He's adapted that, not no. me. Carl, Carl said so and I have continued. If there's something 
there's something that really needs to be brought forth, then I I will I will hear arguments against the <laughs> two item limit. As it's you, the judge and jury, now next will be the executioner. As you can as you can hear me slightly in, sort of squirming out of the um the the position that Carl's put me in. <laughs> but anyway, there we go, Mister Tone. You don't have anything on the list. I do. I can oh. read two things. Oh on well, the in list. that case, yeah. I haven't actually haven't refreshed. You haven't refreshed. Stuff. There That's we go. Oh, love it. Yeah. Continue. Um, sir. So yeah, um, I don't know whether some of you will be aware. One of my favourite artists was at Glastonbury this year, headlining. Uh, but I'm, but I completely Excellent. missed Kanye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kane. Damn it! You beat me to my own. Kane. Wow. Well, sorry, sir. Get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I, I did miss a lot of Glastonbury, but I am going to go back and watch a lot of it on the iPlayer. I think. Um, days for that, aren't you? Hmm? Thirty days to catch up with Glastonbury is not you bad. Yeah. But um, I mean, recently you did have Florence and Machine release an album, which again, it that might tie into a reason they were possibly there. You know, it was, it was. Because they're starting a tour. Um, but yes, yeah, the new album, How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. Not a tribute to Smurfette, as uh, some tried to some tried to portray it as. Um, but yes, yeah, another, like the last album, Ceremonials, it's sort of one of the more consistent ones compared to, say, Lungs, which was a sort of more, more of a mix of styles. Um, but, and there's been a few standout tracks on it I've really loved. Um, the ones that were released, like um, Ship to Wreck and Delilah, I, I did love those when they were sort of released before the f- album. And uh, Delilah, oh, yeah, not, not Tom Jones. No, no, no. no. <laughs> a whole different. Um, Just checking. Whole different animal, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, one of the tracks I think you know, there's one that stuck out from sort of that didn't get pre-release, and it's called Third Eye. For some reason, that's really. So just stuck out as a sort of almost a phantom favourite. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a good album. It's you know I look forward to more. I'm hoping to go and see the tour when it comes to Nottingham. Uh, possibly looking at going to Birmingham as well. Um, but yeah, good album. Uh, I can see why it's hit number one in the charts. Not that I usually care that much about it, but you know, <laughs> for it to be up there in fully in the public eye, you know, is a good thing. Um, and the other thing I've got on my list is the uh, Formula E from from London over the weekend because they they finished the season with uh, two two races, which you know normally they just hold one one day event. Um, once again, the ITV coverage absolutely superb. The action kept going up until the last few laps, you know. And yeah, a lot lot to like about that. Um, it's not really the coverage I'd change about that series. It's you know some of the minor minor details of the sport itself. Um, but yeah, it's been good coverage. ITV have done a really good job on that, and also they put it up. They promoted it to ITV One on Sunday because the touring cars being on all day on B- on ITV Four. <laughs> so yeah, enjoyable, really good coverage, and that's that's me. Doing. <laughs> Now, are you going to beat anyone else to a gag about their own picks? Oh, oh. I just want to say I'm shocked because because Russ hasn't got Castle as his pick this week. That's well, the first time I know. in I don't know how long. Well, uh, uh, 
Carl, what's on your list? I was gonna, <laughs> I was going to come up with something witty to say there, but I can't be bothered. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, first one is Jurassic World. I got around to seeing it. Pretty much agree everything Tone said last week. Fan- oh it's a fantastic little movie. Uh, well, big movie, depending on how you look at it. Um, obviously, a summer blockbuster there. Chris Pine doing what Chris Pine does as a, a lovable rogue type character. Um, kids- Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. Who did I say? Chris Pine. Yeah, because he's said the Chris one. Pine. He- That's yeah, why I just did. said Sorry. Pratt. It wasn't Chris it. Pratt. I'm getting my Pratt's and my Pines mixed up. Oh my God. What Pine Pratt. Oh, actually, I'd like to see Chris Pratt as the captain of the Enterprise. I think that'd be quite funny. But Star Lord as Kirk, yeah. Uh, exactly. That'd yeah, be quite good. Um, no, um, the effect's obviously amazing. Um, maybe looking a little bit plastic in some scenes, but, you know, it's a, it's a summer popcorn blockbuster movie. Don't expect too much. Right. Just. Go along to be entertained, really. Yeah. Back to what we said before, what we were talking about before, about the score as well. That moment when the original sort of theme and the, you know, really wells up as, as you're introduced to the whole park. Yeah, and also when they discover some of the older parts of the park yes. and it's just as a little piano piece, as, you know, yeah. plays back, it goes back to yeah. the original film. Yes, you're meant to remember this. It's like that little cue, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's just a great film. It's just a great blockbuster film. Um, don't think, you know, it's not Shakespeare or anything like that. It's just good fun. Um, kids will love it because lots of adults get chewed up. <laughs> you know, they like, that. they like that sort of stuff for some reason. But uh, And the other thing I, I got, because I saw it as a special on Amazon, is I got the entire series of One Foot in a Grave, and I started watching series one, series two. I totally forgot how how fantastic Victor Meldrew is. Um, <laughs> you know, I got I know I got some fantastic classic episodes ahead of me, but just the first. I mean, it was basically a character who straight out the gate was accepted, I think, by the public. Like, even Only Fools and Horses, it took to about the second se- second or third season for the uh, series for the people to, to fall in love with the characters. But I don't know, they're saying about Victor Meldrew, because he's just all of us. We all get frustrated by these annoyances, these little annoyances in our life, but he, he tries to fight back against them. <laughs> he probably shouldn't most of the time. And he ends up normally making things worse. And his poor insuff- insufferable wife as well has to put up with it. And his, his neighbour as well, played by Angus Deaton. It's, it's, it's just a, a, a perfect little world that there was... Um, I've forgotten the name of the guy who wrote it now. It's completely escaped my mind. But um, I just love it. It's, a, it's definitely a snapshot of time. Um, I think the Tories were in charge, so there's lots of, at the time, there's lots of gags about the Tories ruining national health stuff and, and all these other things. And it's just brilliant. It's just like, when he loses his temper and when the stories progressed to such a point where it was, it was a bit like, like classic episodes of Seinfeld where all these strange little strings suddenly all come together in the end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't see them coming together, but then they all end up all tied up in a nice little bundle. And of course, they've also some incredibly sad moments in One Foot in a Grave as well. We, we tend to forget sometimes. That's what I was just thinking. All, all the comedy. Yeah, but that's what made it bittersweet. I mean, that's, that's, that's life. So, you know, it is hilarious and he's terribly sad at the same time every now and again. But, um, you know, through it and, and also the way the series ended as well. I'm not, I'm not, Big fan of how the series went out, but um, no, it was, and I a, just think it was a means to an end. I think. Absolutely, get but I just of, get rid of the thing and let's, but then, let's finish it. But then, way I remember the way it ended. I'm playing. You know, I'm going off my memory here. It also ended with a recap, which was really, really funny and, and well worth it. So you did go out with a smile on your face, even though saying 
quite bad happens in the last episode. Yeah, well, they had but, to do it that, you know, the people couldn't sit there and nag and say, no, we want it to carry on. True. So it didn't turn out to be last of the summer. True. And also remember con- some controversy as well with the last episode because they were saying about who wants to be a millionaire. They yeah. decided to air the first person to ever become a millionaire at the same time as it went out. Yeah. You know, on, on one foot in the grave, the, the final episode. Anyway, but no, I think it was six ninety nine of Amazon, the complete DVD set with all the Christmas specials as well. And I'm slowly ripping them, ripping them, so I can have them digitised, and then that will go in the cupboard. Excellent. There you go. And I, I want to. I really do one day want to answer the phone and pick up a puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that's the fools and horses falling through the uh, barn. It is, yeah. Or, or get planted underneath a, a pot. Yeah. A plant pot. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> or come out at a skip you hide yeah. and there's a, t- a Citroen 2 yeah. the- Anyway. 4291. Yes. <laughs> right. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Right. Now, last but not least, my list. Here we Castle. go. No. Well, actually, I have, yeah, I have watched quite considerably. Are you only allowed to shut up? Yeah. Quite. <laughs> oh, 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 there was some, oh, there was some spite in that voice. The first thing on my list is an app uh, or a game for the iPad called Fallout Shelter. It's not only for the iPad, it's for the iPhone. I believe it's out for Android as well. It's basically the forerunner to Fallout 4. I think it's 4 anyway. Um, it, basically, it's, it's a free-to-play mobile simulation video game developed by Bethesda Game Studios and published by Bethesda Softworks. I was hoping to get a bit more information out of it than the, the blurb that's on, um, that's on Google. But basically, what you do, you start off with um, a group of people who have come to a vault tech um, uh, fallout shelter from, from the Fallout game, and you basically build an enormous Fallout shelter. It's... It's it's along the same lines as uh, things like Tiny Tower. Only you're not building up; you're building down into a uh, into a big, um, yeah, into a, a, a big pool of dirt, and you've got to crack rocks away and things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a fun game. I I I found I, I I kind of caught myself playing it for about an hour before I put it down on the iPad. And um, actually, the iPad was at 100%. This is an iPad 3. The iPad was at 100% when I started it. And I played it for an hour, and the iPad was down to about 78%. So on reasonably power efficient. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. But no, it's, it's a good game. Free to play. You don't have to pay for the things that, you know, if you want to speed the game up a bit. And really, it's, it's not necessary at all. Uh, the game doesn't really punish you for playing it or anything like that. It's just it's just a it's just a nice nice bit of fun, really. Um, now the next thing on my list, a slight departure for the, uh, the 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 kind of thing that we usually have in this segment. Um, went on holiday last week, <laughs> and uh, uh, last uh, last Saturday found myself in Portsmouth with, uh, <laughs> with my brother and my sister, and we went to see the Mary Rose Museum. Um, now, the Mary Rose, uh, for those of you who don't know, it was a carrack type ship of the English Tudor Navy of King Henry VIII. Uh, basically, it sank in um, in, uh, in battle. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it sank in the Solent. I mean, if you think about it nowadays, we think of the Solent as a, as a small ditch between you know between Southampton, you know Portsmouth, and, and the Isle of Wight. Um, but it sank in 1545, um, and this this guy kind of found it in something like 15, 1580 something or other, and he he found the 
the, the sort of the area where the ship was and then it was basically lost for a long time uh until it was eventually salvaged in 1982 um and you sorry you were live i was not no that's it before brilliant I, tv that I, was a brilliant tv that's when they brought it up and it snapped didn't it yeah well the, the cradle it went a bit funny but that, did you remember watching that car yeah, I remember. I remember it being on news round and things like that yeah. as well. Yeah, interrupt you, but we were there. It's right, it is. It is great. Yeah, but the the whole the whole museum basically eighteen quid to get in, and that eighteen quid bought me a ticket for a year. I can, uh, unlimited. I can go back as many times as I want for a year. I didn't look at a wet bit of wood. <laughs> I, I, it's it's not just the wet bit of wood. It's it's the all the stuff that they found the artifacts it's I a frame around artifacts it. i mean i think there was a hundred thousand different artifacts off of that it's, it's something like that but the, the the amount the amount of stuff they found because basically you you walk into this place and you you start with um basically the history of the the, the ship itself what um you know it, it's it's planning through to its build and everything and then you and then these doors open every 90 seconds you walk into this place and there's a there's a uh, this rather um, rather strange film of of the ship sinking and people drowning and uh, just did, Chris, did Christopher Nolan do it? He did not. No, ah. no. It was um, and it wasn't scientific. It was a very no. Well, no, it was scientifically accurate, but um, it it was very thought provoking, and you kind of you kind of watching the screen, and you kind of think, oh. Yeah, this, yeah, this is a little bit sad. Really. This is actually, yeah, this is. You actually mean it wasn't quite, laugh a minute fun? Uh, absolutely not. No, it Carrie, was. Carrie it was. It was quite. Yeah, it was actually quite strange. Um, watching this, film. and then you kind of walk into the into the museum. Um, the the main thing that stood out to me was uh, is the amount of combs <laughs> they found. Amount of what combs? <laughs> Well, combs. They, were they had to wear combs. Them. They had. They all had to have combs. But they the thing is, the thing is, no. you 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 get you get to walk up and I mean, there there are several levels in this thing. There are two or three levels, and you walk through um, a kind of a, a, a visual representation of the ship. And um, the thing that kind of hits you because you you look through you look through these windows as you're walking along this enormous corridor, and you can actually see what's left of the what's left of the ship and at the moment they've got these kind of big um uh, big black pipes running through it or because they're still drying the thing out <laughs> i remember it's hundreds of years though it's yeah it's 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 gonna i think it will finally be dry in something like 2017 or something like that but, but yeah there's some mad thing about how long it took to dry yeah they'll they'll be pulling they'll be pulling the big black tubes out in 2016 i think because they're doing a big uh they're, they're changing everything again in 2016 um but my, it's funny my sister said because she she went to see it uh one or two years ago and you look through these windows back then and there was a lot of steam and a lot of you know you could barely see the wood um but now you can actually see it you can actually see it quite and you get quite well and you, you get to see the 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 sheer size of the thing and really if you think that there were uh was it 200 sailors 185 soldiers and 30 gunners on board um 
more of them got killed by, killed by firing the guns than they ever killed anyone with oh, well quiet the, the thing is that about apparently there are about 500 people on this ship um, I think you missed out that it was actually the importance of the ship. It was Henry VIII's flagship. It was Henry VIII's flagship, yes. And it was the one that he used to travel on as well. Yeah, so it's, yeah. You know, it's a very important ship. It is him. a very important ship, but the thing is... That Other than the ships that his daughter had, if it's the most important ships <laughs> yeah. in the history of Britain, yeah. really. But if you if, if you look at the, sh- the size of this thing, and because it's basically in half, so if you copy it over in your head, copy it over and put it onto the other side so you, you think of the size of the ship. 500 people packed into this tiny little ship. Mm. No wonder um, they needed combs. Indeed. Well, they needed combs and all kinds of things. Um, and it's just the uh, the amount of stuff that they found. These It's it's the personal items that, that kind of that kind of gets you. Mm. And you kind of think, you know, oh, all, these, all these beautifully carved bone um, uh, um, bits and pieces that, that that like they have these angels on them and things like that. It's it's all it's it's all very strange. Well, they had um, them as keepsakes to they did, off yeah. didn't they? Yeah. But also, they they found like because it was his flagship, it had things like his gold dinner service and things. It like did, that. yeah, yeah. They had they found they found a lot of stuff um around um yes stuff that was for the officers and things like that. It was uh, if I remember rightly, because you know you had to have ballast in those days because you had to weigh down the boats depending on how high or low you wanted to go in the water. Mm. Boats basically intrinsically float, and so you have to weigh down the bottom of a boat. <coughs> a lot of the things that they weighed down the boats with were spoils from other places. So in mixed with the rocks would be some really amazing artefacts. It would be like, I don't know, some statuette from some conquered battle and they just <laughs> chuck it all in the, the bottom yeah. of the boat. If it was made of stone, no matter what it was, ornately carved or, you know, from Cleopatra, it didn't make any difference. It went in the bottom of the boat. And, uh, you know, when they dredged all the... Because they pulled up all that ballast as well, Mm. knowing that within that ballast there was an awful lot of important stuff. And they found some of really important... that that It was too old for the Tudors to think it was worthwhile. So obviously it gives it even more of an age. It does, yeah. There's some really important artefacts within the ballast. I've only ever done one thing like that. And it was the Titanic experience in Orlando, which is probably (laughs) not the place to be for that experience. But you go through, you go through and they show you all like various things that they supposedly got back from the Titanic. I mean, I don't know if they're legit. They're behind the cabinet. They're showing you all the the drawings and all all the places. And then at the beginning, you get given a name. You get to pick a name. Mm. And it's a victim or a survivor. Yeah, so you get this, this name. You don't tell you why. You just say pick a name, and so and then you go all through the thing, and it gets, you know, it gets to the night, and it's it's done really well. But the last, I always remember the last bit. The last bit always sticks with me because the guy in in like period costume, he's telling you the stories from a shipbuilder's point of view. You get you get right to this final moment, and there's a wall completely made of ice, and you, and you, he says to you, put your hands on it and see how long you can hold your hands there. And I'm thinking, this is Florida. This is a relief to put my hands on this damn thing. Anyway, <laughs> but you can't do it for long because it's, it's so cold anyway. And he goes... Um, you know, this is what they had to survive. This is that what was it was temperature like. temperature of the water, yeah. Mm. It was temperature of the water. So imagine that. Um, you know, imagine what it was like as you waited there in the darkness, not knowing what was going to happen. And uh, and then he just literally said, he goes, you can check, you can check the name you got was a passenger. You can check if you if that person survived the the uh, ordeal. And then he just and then he just goes. I wish I'd built you a better boat, Rose. And he just turns and walks away, leaving you in this darkness with this ice. And you think, and then you find out you were dead. 
And you think, oh my God, so well a downer. What an exhibition. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's why you remember it, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. See, you remember absolutely. it. You do remember mm. it. Yeah. No, that's a really important part of all. And it's something quite new within history. And that's why history never was so exciting to children before. Because you, you I, I've been to a few places in the world, uh, you know, a lot of things, really desperately sad things from maybe the Second World War and things. I don't want to go into it. And, um, you know, without the human part of it. it, it it just becomes a documentary on yesterday, mm -hmm. you know? You know, mm. how lots lots of people died in horrible, horrible circumstances, and they're not real. But then when someone shows you a pair of glasses worn by a four-year-old kid, and you know what happened to that four-year-old kid, it, it mm. becomes so utterly relevant, and it's really important. Even from, you know, even from your experience you know, in Florida and your experience on the Mary Rose. These were people. And how do you feel something emotional for the people that died on a boat 500 odd years ago? Yeah, yeah. They found a way of doing it. Yeah, they certainly did. Because it, it uh, the... When I was when I was asked by a couple of people, oh, how 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 was it? Was it was it good? I, I kind of think, well, it was it was more thought provoking than anything, actually. Yeah, sometimes you know. things are more important than good. Yeah, it was it. Yeah, it was important. I mean, of of the five of the five hundred people who were apparently on this thing, only a, a maximum of thirty five survived. Yeah. Because I mean, some of them because they stretched a, a great big net across the the top of the ship. Um, as it sank, half the people are well. In fact, most of the people who served on the ship couldn't swim anyway. So they just, you know, go down with the ship. Oh well, that's it. <laughs> you know, some of them just clambered to the top of the masts. Of course, the masts were um, were retrieved. But uh, yeah. Well, the reason most people this is nothing to do with the show, but the reason reason most people drown because of most people's. Uh, uh, clothing was made of wool. Yeah. And wool doubles in weight when you get wet. It does, and it's yeah. almost impossible yeah. to swim if you're wearing wool. Mm. Mm. There's oh. a really depressing I'm fact. I'm glad we're ending the show on such a happy yeah. note, by the way. I'd say, <laughs> although it, uh, it makes our obituary sound quite a jolly it, one. It does, yeah, yeah. But uh, um, in terms in terms of uh, uh, sheer value for money, <laughs> you know, 18 quid and you can keep going back for a year. as many times as you want for a year. And the thing is, if you if you want to go to the Portsmouth docks and go and get yourself a... Because you can get a ticket, I think it's about is it 30 quid, and you can go and see every single exhibit they have for a year. It just sounds really wrong when you so, say you want to go to the Portsmouth docks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, you get to see... They are I mean, synonymous with other things. They are, they are, yes. But the, the, the thing is, after, after seeing this thing, I, I want to go back... Um, when they reopen it, sort of mid twenty sixteen, and go and and go and see it when they've actually, you know, when they when they've reached the next stage, and I'd be interested to go and see things like the Warrior and the um, I, and the, vi the Victory and things like that. It'd be I'd very really interesting. Imagine, and in fact, I think it is there because I'm pretty sure I've seen it on YouTube. There was a, it was all live when they brought it up on that big inflatable thing. Mm, yeah, and, and I'm it's really snapped. sure. Yeah, but I'm really sure it's all on YouTube because I'm pretty sure I've seen it in the last few years. Yeah. So if you are interested, look on YouTube because you'll find the raising of the Mary Rose. Mm. And obviously they did loads of documentaries about it. Over. Yeah. And Blue Peter had a big thing, I seem to remember. Because mm. I was mm. Blue Peter age at that time. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, I, I go, go on YouTube. It will be there. It is really fascinating and I'm it really is. glad they put a human aspect to it. The whole thing, the whole thing is, uh, the whole thing's brilliant. 
uh, I fully commend the uh, the men and women who uh, who put it all together and did a superb job. Right, speaking of doing a superb job, that's the show. Carl's about ready for bed. Um, and I think, yeah, I think we're um, I think we're just about done. It only remains for me to ask you three fine gentlemen where we can find you. Who are we going to start with? Uh, as Alex checks his little piece of paper to find out what his Twitter name is, Tone, where can we find you and your business? Yep, uh, on the Twitter at Tone7x20. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much for coming on, sir. You, uh, you, you, you weathered, pleasure as usual. You weathered, you weathered a particular, a particularly large uh, work-related storm to, <laughs> to come on uh, with us today. Yes, yes. Well, it was more avoiding, you know, because yeah. I was meant to be working sort of right now and I ended up working from 6am this morning instead. Excellent. You took that bullet for us. Thank you very much, sir. Alex. <laughs> Where can we find uh, for you? a minute my finger wasn't working and it wasn't opening i got in a bit of a panic <laughs> there we go uh, very british view if you wouldn't mind very kindly thank you very much excellent thank you very much <laughs> thanks sir. for having me it's been a That's pleasure not a problem it's always a pleasure to have you on sir mr madden what's uh, what's going What'd on what did you say like there? that for <laughs> <laughs> what did you say there mr where madden you seem to be here uh, and, and rounding out <laughs> madden rounding out our panel where can if we, we find, have to where can we find you sir you get me on twitter at claw0101 and on the mac and forth show where i don't talk about science mixing with entertainment so no, especially not the bit we cut out in the middle of the show and you can find me on twitter at sf drummer that is all we have for this show as i said earlier if you want to get in touch drop us a line at airwaveshow at gmail.com don't forget to breathe or you can leave us a comment at the hyphen airwaves.com or you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Airwavescast or oh, we're all over the place you can subscribe to us in iTunes or if you remember what it is you can go over to Google Plus uh, click on the communities tab do a search with the Airwaves and up we will pop subscribe to our community and uh, do all, all the business and as uh, Carl slowly drifts off in the corner over there we will return next week with a brand new episode of the Airwaves but until then take care everybody see ya Cheerio. Bye-bye. No. No, no. You're getting it wrong. See, stop getting it wrong. I'll I'll release it. I'll release release it in a few months. I plead to you never to release it. You might want to cut that last 30 seconds. I'll put it at the end of the show. Don't worry. Yeah, there is no escape.